This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your coach, your guide on the side. Welcome to the program. We're going to get you through life, folks, one day at a time. Hopefully, uh, you know, we can get you through this whole election thing. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Ben Carson appear- apparently ready to get out. He's just getting more clothes. He's, he's, he's going to get, I think he's going to be away for a while. He's, he's, well, he's working hard. He needs a little break. Yeah. He's going to get out. Um, He's, he hasn't announced it yet, but he will at the CPAC meeting. That ben Carson. That ought to be fun. Yeah. C- CPAC's always a special brand of interesting. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. And then did did Rubio ever say he was going to do it finally? Do what? Go to CPAC? Yeah. I don't know. Because he was having a big issue about it well, for prob- years. He probably should. They've been trying to get him for a year, and he didn't know. Ben Carson. So now I guess we're down to four. Ben Carson's not out yet. He'll be out at CPAC. He's done. They haven't announced. Yeah, he did. No, he just said he's not going to be there tonight at the debate. Well, no, but in an article, it's like he's done. He's just going to announce it. Did he it. say that or yeah. is someone speculating? No, it said that. He's going to announce it at CPAC. He's tired. He's tired. I read it. Real clear politics. He's tired. I would be too. I'd be tired of he's nobody listening. He's been tired listening. from the beginning. His eyes are never open. No. He's half asleep. No, he's, he's he just thoughtful. He's pensive. Like this. I know, but that's what you do when you're a neurosurgeon. You, you, you cruise you through life half yeah. asleep? Yeah, well, yeah, you can't be jittery. Like he needs like some Adderall or something. So all of a sudden, you're down to four, and apparently one of them Mitt Romney doesn't like. Ru- Rubio? It's probably more than one. Is it Rubio? It's No, I don't think it's Rubio. No. It's not Cruz. It's the other one. What's his name? Oh, what's his name? Drump. Drump. Did you see that too? <laughs> John Oliver, holy cow. Apparently, uh, back in Trump's family heritage, his name wasn't always Trump. Back in the day, his name was Drumpf. Family came from Germany, I think. Yeah. And somebody thought, you know, we can't go down in the, in the world as Drumpf. It's just a different, it's a different kind of name. <laughs> so they changed it. They're Trump. I think I think Trump, John Oliver said, is the sound of millions of dollars. No, it's the sound of a wad of cash hitting someone in the face. Or what was it, a uh, two, two liter of root beer that hits the floor yeah. at the gas station? So this Trump phenomenon, it, it's happening. And Mitt Romney has had enough of it. So he will be holding a presser today, I guess, and will come out. Many are thinking he's going to run. He says he isn't. Yeah. I read that on Real yeah, Player Politics. In the presser, too. It's like... It was, it was on the web this morning, He's so not going to run. I don't think he's going to run. No. But he is going to tear Trump but, up. But he's like the grandpa of the Republican Party now, so he's Somebody's got to say something. Giving some sage advice. And then everybody says, well, this is just the establishment trying to stop Trump. But it probably should have been done, what, six months ago? Yes. Like many are saying that Rubio should have started uh, attacking him like he is now. Yeah. 
just resort to name calling essentially uh, just months ago. And that yeah. would have that would have uh, stymied Trump. Yeah, and but see, I think it seems like after Super Tuesday, Rubio Rubio's rant. I think it was very helpful, just not to him. No, <laughs> I think it really helped Cruz. Yeah, because he looked. I guess would you say unprofessional, unpresidential? Well, I I don't know. But, but Trump's been looking like that no, since the I beginning. Think, I so think maybe I the voter that would have normally gone after or liked Trump would have maybe more naturally would like the next best fighter, which would be Cruz. Hmm. Don't you think? I mean Yeah, I guess. It's so it seems like Rubio did the the bloodying of Trump a tiny, tiny bit, just a little an abrasion. And then Cruz just jumped on and took all the glory. I guess. Because Cruz Cruz won what, three states on Super Tuesday? Three or four. Mm. Depends on how you count. Yeah. Uh, Trump won seven, eight? Seven, I believe. And uh, Rubio won Minnesota. Caucus. He, got, he got Minnesota. That's not bad. Good that's job. One. That's one. That's one right there. It's one more than me. Yeah. So, but I also wasn't as impressed with, I mean, no doubt, you know, Trump's on a, on a, you know, he's on a roll. But, uh, you know. His numbers still weren't quite what Joe Cannon was saying you got to be watching for. If it's not above 40 percent, it's not just this – it's not just a run. It's not – he's not just taken over. But that's just because there's too many candidates, right? Well, supposedly. Once that cleans up, then guess the we, math gets better for him. Suppose maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Because the ones that aren't turning yet – Like haven't in turned. the zombies? Yeah, they haven't turned yet. Okay. They haven't turned for a reason. They're still not zombie, Trump zombies. Is, is he turned yet? Hey, by the way, today, National Anthem Day. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Star-Spangled Banner was recognized for official use by the United States Navy in 1889. By what president? An old one? Yep, Woodrow Wilson. Awesome. I knew it. Woodrow Wilson. Also, Cold Cuts Day. It's a good day. This is the day we celebrate anything and everything related to cold cut meats. Including heart disease and fatty liver. Mm, I love fatty liver. <laughs> and it's also I want you to be happy day, Ben. I want you to be happy. Thank you. I appreciate it. I found your wife. Really? Yeah. What's her name? Breaking news. This just in. I found her. I'm not going to name her on, on the air because she works here. Bertha? No. It wasn't Bertha? No. Birth is a fine woman. What about Olga? Mm. No, that seems like a German name from your mission. Lawanda? Did you, did, you, did you ever date, or not date, did you ever know an Olga in your mission? I didn't. Didn't you? No. It's a pretty old name. Is it? I was wondering if there's any young Germans named Olga. No, I think it's it's kind of like... It's like Esther. Or Winifred. Mm-hmm. Or... Wow. Yeah. Winifred. It's like Winifred. See, these are the things you learn on the Matt Townsend Show. You don't get this on other stations. The depth, the insight. <laughs> Today on the show, um, it, you know, I guess to pay tribute to Mitt Romney, who's now inserting himself strongly as kind of the grandfather of the GOP, as a party boss, as an ex-leader. Party boss sounds negative. As an ex-leader – uh, actually, a current leader, too, in the GOP. He's had enough. He's going to be making uh, – having a little presser and making some – I don't know. He's basically going to – he's going to try to do something about this Trump situation. I don't know what you do. 
make yourself a target. But we had a great interview um, a few months ago with a professor from, um, I believe, MIT. No, not MIT. Um, uh, from SMU and uh, from Texas, Dr. Matthew Wilson. And he, we, we talked to him about the impact of Mitt Romney and the impact that Mitt Romney can have on this election and the role Mitt Romney should be playing in this uh, in the GOP. So we're going to go to that interview in just a few minutes. But before we do that, let's uh, let's go to our good uh, friend Terry South, find out what's going on in the rest of the world. Thanks, Matt. As the free world awaits the words of Mitt Romney to tear into Republican frontrunner Donald Trump, because that's what's going to happen this afternoon, or later today. A whichever. tear down. Depends on where you are in the country. He's going to call him a phony and a fraud Thursday morning. This speech is going to happen. Trump reminds Romney that he didn't always feel that way about him. On Twitter, Donald Trump said, why did Mitt Romney beg me for my endorsement four years ago? Question mark. Great question. Trump did, in fact, end up endorsing the then-Republican presidential candidate a favor, which Romney responded to with lavish praise for Trump and his business acumen. Well, and, yeah, and Trump praised Romney. Yes. And now Trump calls Romney the dumbest, you know, the dumbest candidate ever in the GOP. On Thursday, Romney may be rallying against Trump and calling voters to make the right choices, unquote. Here's how you here's how you can plan your day. Romney will speak 1130 Eastern. Okay. Plenty of TV coverage, so grab one, watch, and, put this and on my absorb that. From about noon Eastern to 9 p.m. Eastern, all the news channels will dissect all the different ways that uh, Donald Trump bashes Romney throughout the day on Twitter. Right. And then uh, the GOP debate live from Detroit, 9.30 Eastern tonight on Fox News. There's your entire day. That's a great day. Yeah. Lots to watch, lots to cover. Well, plus, we ought to have some food in there. We'll eat and stuff. It'll be good. Yeah. It'll be good. Uh, Republican presidential hopeful Ben Carson said Wednesday he'll skip Thursday night's debate. The Washington Post reports, though Carson said in a statement that he doesn't see a path forward to the Republican Party nomination. He didn't formally suspend his bid. Rather, Carson will speak to, to his future plans Friday at uh, yeah the Conservative Political Action Conference in Maryland, just as you said you'd read on the Internet. And I just did also. After Carson uh, posted lackluster primary caucus numbers in Super Tuesday, he addressed a message to his haters <laughs> saying that he would stay in the party race. The party operatives have reportedly pushed him towards suspending his campaign instead of running for. And also uh, the idea of possibly running for Senate in Florida since there's a seat opening up. Well, and I really need to find the article because in that same article he said I, he won't be running and nobody pushed him. Wow. He's his own man. He's his own man. Wow, this is amazing stuff. He's He just wants to maybe work on policy. And maybe get a nap. Mm-hmm. The Justice Department has granted immunity to, the, for, uh, to uh, the former State Department staffer who worked on Hillary Clinton's private server. The FBI has reportedly gotten Brian uh, Pagliano, the staffer, in question to cooperate with the further investigation. The FBI is looking to finish its investigation in the coming months. And there is no indication that at this time that prosecutors have convened a grand jury to subpoena information. Clinton spokesman Brian Fallon told Political late Wednesday the campaign was pleased that Pagliano was working with investigators, adding that Clinton also has made herself available for questioning. Come on. What? We were so happy. We're so happy. That the person that set up Clinton's server is has been given. What's it called? He's immunity. Been, he's been given immunity by the FBI <laughs> to, to testify openly without going to jail. It would be great. We are so happy So about happy that. for him. Uh, Google's, That's crazy. Google's philanthropic arm is uh, donating $1 million to UNICEF in support of the global fight against oh. Zika. 
Cool. Zekervirus, the company announced Wednesday, the grant is focused on raising awareness, reducing mosquito populations, developing diagnostic and vaccines, and working with governments to prevent disease transmission. The tech giant also created a donation matching campaign for Google employees with the aim of providing an additional 500000 to UNICEF and the Pan American Health Organization. Google has tapped a team of engineers, data scientists, and designers to work with UNICEF to analyze data to map the spread of the epidemic. We appreciate Google. That's cool. Lots of money there. And there's probably more on the way. They ought to send a Google car down there, too. They could do that. It could crash into something at two miles an hour. Warm temperatures are affecting the ceremonial start to the Iditarod Trail dog sled race in Anchorage, Alaska. Wow. Forcing organizers to cut its length and rely on a shipment of snow from hundreds of miles away. So they can have a course to race on. What's the Alaska happening? Railroad is packed, packing several freight cars with snow from Fairbanks and delivering it to Anchorage, where the ceremonial leg of the race is set to kick off on Saturday. The uh, Stan Hooley of the Iditarod Trail Committee said in a statement that the city of Anchorage worked very hard to find a way for us to go the full 11 miles. Unfortunately, the warm temperature persisted, persisted and it's no longer possible this year. Global warming, dude. Too much snow, well, too much heat, not enough snow. It's not warm enough. So snow is in the forecast for Anchorage on Saturday, but it'll be 37 degrees and the snow won't stick. Uh, it'll melt. You missed it by that much. Right. Oh, wow. It's a bad day when you can't do the I did or That's a big deal. Where's the snow? Well, um, it's, you know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure Trump had something to do with it. When you think about it, folks, the Trump is it's it's crazy. It's on fire whether you like him or not. Uh, he's the newsmaker. And Mitt Romney is uh, he's not too excited about it. So he'll be having that presser today to talk about um, basically a stop Trump movement. People need to know that he's a fake. He's a fraud. Mitt Romney has an important role to play. Uh, We'll take a break, come back, and we'll be talking with an SMU professor and uh, actually replaying an interview we did with him a few months ago about Mitt Romney's role in this election. Um, It's an interesting, interesting discussion, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. everybody welcome back to the matt townsend show you know trump mania it's uh you saw the sweep in in super tuesday or not the sweep but uh i guess the wave of trump and uh, now many are fighting against it a lot of the old not necessarily establishment but the the bigger names in the gop are starting to push back today in fact mitt romney is about to smash donald trump in a speech they say for the ages so we wanted to go back and uh, take a little, a, a deeper look at Mitt Romney's um, role in this election. And a few months ago, we interviewed Dr. Matthew Wilson, who is a professor at the Dedman College of Humanities and Sciences and at Southern Methodist University. And we were picking his brain on uh, basically back in the day. Remember when everyone was saying, is Mitt Romney going to run? Should he run? Um, and uh, what role should he play in the GOP? So this is the interview that that uh, that was with uh, Dr. Matthew Wilson. And I started the interview even back then uh, saying Donald Trump is sucking all of the air out of the election. Absolutely. He's dominating media coverage. 
uh, he hasn't had to spend a dime yeah. on advertising because he gets so much free media. But that has really made it difficult for other candidates to get their message across and get the sort of name recognition and traction that they need. It seems like to me what the GOP needs – now, you're the pro. I'm just a hack. But it seems like to me the GOP – the there's no respect necessarily, it doesn't seem like, from – Toward uh, the the party leaders, when when it comes from Trump, I mean Trump's just kind of a renegade, and there's no it, there's just no one it seems like in charge of the process of the GOP. Is this a normal thing? Are the candidates usually as free as they are right now? It seems like the the, the actual party itself used to have a little more power. Well, it's a process that we've seen unfolding over the last several decades as the the party machinery in both the Democratic and the Republican parties uh, has lost influence over the primary process. Uh, And this is really just the culmination of that, of showing that party elites aren't in control anymore. Hmm. Um, We saw that a little bit, frankly, in 2008 when Barack Obama won the Democratic nomination, because clearly the the choice of party elites that year was Hillary Clinton. That's true, huh? Uh, and, and Obama broke through that and surprised by winning the nomination. Uh, and I think certainly uh, elites in the Republican Party are viewed with skepticism uh, by a lot of Republican voters, particularly people in the Tea Party movement. And, and so there's just no central apparatus that can direct the process. Mm. And it seems like uh, uh, Trump's stealing all the thunder, all of the air. But Cruz has kind of maneuvered his way into basically number two. But it seems like if anyone could steal Iowa, it's it's going to be Ted Cruz. Is that is that a likelihood? Is that, I mean, because is, isn't Cruz more of the conservative candidate of the GOP Cruz, conservative? Yes, Cruz is a very conservative candidate. He is also uh, perceived as about as much an outsider as you can be as a sitting U.S. senator. Right. So he has some appeal to the Trump constituency. Uh, the other person to look at is Marco Rubio. Um, I don't know that Rubio will necessarily win Iowa, but Rubio is starting to show uh, some national level strength. And I would say at this point that uh, Trump Cruz and Rubio are are clearly the three uh, leading contenders for the nomination. And if we look at it, so Trump is kind of the true outsider, um, not necessarily, you know, supported by the the religious, you know, conservatives. But uh, he's he's a renegade. He's saying it like he feels it. And he's kind of the anti-establishment candidate. Uh, Cruz, it seems like, is a little more uh, supported by the religious right. And then Rubio, it seems like, is supported a little bit more by kind of the the traditional uh, establishment GOP. Is that accurate? I think I think that's basically true. Although I would say about Rubio that he actually is quite conservative. So he's not your typical okay. establishment right. Republican figure. That is, Rubio is not say in the mold of Chris Christie or even Jeb Bush. He's more conservative than that, but he is less bombastic, flamboyant, right. over-the-top than, than certainly Trump or even Ted Cruz. Hmm. Uh, so he may turn out to be the establishment's best bet, and we may see some coalescing of their support behind Rubio if he starts to get traction in the early states. Interesting, yeah. And um, one of the things we where we found uh, you, Matthew, was in an article about Romney coming back in and maybe either running 
um, or just being kind of a deal maker that's going to you know push around all of his resources and all of his uh, followers. Do you, where do you sense Romney is in all of this? Is he? Do you sense he would enter back in the race after seeing? kind of the power of Trump, or do you think he'll just be a backer? Where do you think he's going to play out in all of this? Well, I don't think there's any realistic path for him to actually run for president at this point. It's, it's just too late in the game. And moreover, it's not clear what he would bring that someone like Jeb Bush, for example, doesn't bring. Right. Uh, that is, if people want to coalesce behind uh, a, you know, a credible, respectable establishment figure— He's right there in the race, right? I mean, right. Could, He's there, yeah. Behind Bush. And they're not interested um, right now. Exactly. And, you know, Romney has lost twice running for president. Yeah. So it, it's not as if he's this kind of revered elder statesman of the Republican Party. He's not Ronald Reagan. Yeah. You know, he's not right. this kind of iconic figure that Republicans would necessarily rush to unite behind. I mean, I think that most Republicans, of course, voted for Mitt Romney, and most Republicans have a fairly favorable opinion of Mitt Romney, but he doesn't have the kind of cachet that an iconic figure like a Reagan could, yeah. who could really throw his weight around and change the outcome of the race. He's not a kingmaker. That's right. Is he? Would it, would it help? Like, I sit and look at, would it help um, if, he, if a Romney did come out and and support one candidate. If, if he put his energy behind Rubio and maybe set Rubio up to to win uh, New Hampshire. That could potentially be helpful, but there's a fine line for Rubio to walk because Rubio wants to win that establishment support while at the same time not alienating mm. the conservative activist base. Yeah, right. So he doesn't want to be seen as too much a creature of the establishment. Uh, and, you know, Mitt Romney is very much an establishment Republican. Yeah. So for right now, Rubio might prefer to keep folks like Romney at arm's length. I mean, their quiet support behind the scenes uh, in lining up donors, in lining up establishment backers could really be helpful. But Rubio doesn't want to be seen as Romney version three. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that's, that's not helpful to his campaign. And he is more conservative and is more tied in to the Tea Party movement, for example, uh, than Romney would be. Yeah. So they're, they're not exactly the same in terms of their ideological profile. Which is what's so powerful and I think interesting because um, Ra- uh, Rubio and Cruz were both kind of Tea Partiers, right? That's right. They were both very much supported by Tea Party movements in their own state. Now, the difference is that that once they got to Washington, Rubio seemed more interested in trying to work within the system, form bipartisan coalitions, uh, become an effective senator, whereas Cruz seemed interested from day one in trying to build a national representation, reputation, being uh, cantankerous, mm-hmm. being disruptive, uh, being a real kind of outsider voice. And so they took somewhat different paths once they got to Washington. It's so inch It is, isn't it? Because, I mean, for years, Cruz was just, just, I don't know, hated, it seemed like. Every, everything was about how Cruz was creating a lot of the problems in Congress and Senate, I mean. But is do you sense that um, when – now we have a Trump, kind of this – the anti-establishment, anti-everything, government kind of candidate. But then you have basically two Tea Partiers that are leading. So of the three out of the 14 – it's pretty clear that 
this isn't your normal election. This is a there's a major seeming referendum going on in the GOP. That's right. And it shows how much the window of acceptability ideologically has shifted when Marco Rubio becomes the establishment representative. (laughs) Because he is he is quite conservative. He had Tea Party backing when he uh, ran for Senate in Florida. But if, if it's a Rubio rather than, say, a Chris Christie or a Jeb Bush that the establishment coalesces behind, uh, that shows that the GOP primary electorate has shifted decidedly to the right. Mm. Man, what is this like for you? I mean, a professor of political science, have you seen anything like this? I really haven't. Uh, and with the caveat that we'll wait and see once the voting actually starts yeah. how, how much legs the Trump movement really has. Uh, that, that's you know, what it, huh? you don't know. It, it, uh, we don't know. We don't know how many of these people who say to pollsters that they support Trump will actually pull that lever in in the voting booth or how many of them will actually show up on a you know 12 degree night in early February in Iowa right. to go to a three hour meeting and support Donald Trump. Uh, you know, Trump's voters, Trump supporters tend to be uh, lower education, less likely to have voted in Republican primaries or caucuses in the past. Um, and those are exactly the kinds of people whose turnout is very difficult to predict and right. is very erratic. So, uh, so we'll see how, how much uh, staying power that movement has. But, yeah, absolutely, to this point, it has been a remarkable uh, election season. And it has been – it really has, has come to manifest the level of discontent with the establishment that exists uh, especially in the Republican Party. But, you know, the, the Bernie Sanders phenomenon mm-hmm. uh, has shown that there's some of that in the Democratic yeah. Party as well. Isn't it? It really is fascinating. Let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. Matthew Wilson um, from Southern Methodist University, and we are, we're just picking his brain when it comes to politics, all things political. We wanted to, to ask him when we come back. I want to get into to Trump a bit. The specialty of Dr. Wilson is religion and politics, and it seems like uh, Donald Trump hit on a vein of that uh, in the last few days that has just turned the – the political world upside down. We uh, will continue this discussion with Professor Matthew Wilson. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. To the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone from Dallas, Texas, Dr. Matthew Wilson, uh, professor of Associate Professor of Political Science in the Dedman College of Humanities and Sciences at Southern Methodist University. He's currently working on two book projects, one on the political behavior of American Catholics, and another is dealing with how citizens decide whom to hold accountable for social and political outcomes. We've uh, asked him on the show today to just uh, walk us through what's going on politically around the world and around our country. Um, Dr. Wilson, thank you again for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me. You bet. Hey, one thing we were talking about before the break is that uh, the voters or the people that tend to be following Donald Trump, uh, maybe a little uh, um, kind of the working maybe class uh, voter, but also not necessarily people that have historically been turning out and voting in past elections – 
Uh, I, I heard somewhere that they paralleled it a little bit to um, kind of what Ronald Reagan was able to do in get getting and finding people, maybe the Reagan Democrat or whatever that to to that loved him enough and he in, invigorated him and charged them up. And actually, Reagan was able to motivate him enough to get to the polls. Do you see this paralleling? Not that Trump in any way is Reagan, but do you see it paralleling kind of the ability to draw in voters that might not normally have been voting and part of the process? Well, I would say one important difference is that Reagan began with very strong and deep roots in the conservative movement. Hmm. And so Reagan had really strong support among ideologically committed conservatives. Yeah, the historic conservative, right? Yeah. Right. Trump doesn't have a lot of appeal to that constituency. That is, when you look at the people who are supporting Trump, for the most part, they are not the people who identify as very conservative. Mm -hmm. They're not the people who are lifelong Republican loyalist voters. Uh, They're people who are somewhat disaffected from the system, may even be irregular voters. Uh, They are some of that uh, blue-collar, downscale white constituency, which are people who have been gravitating more towards the Republican Party in recent years, uh, but, but they're not really the ideological core of the Republican Party. So Donald Trump is not really an ideological movement hmm. candidate, yeah. uh, which, which makes sense given that his positions, frankly, are all over the map. <laughs> right. Right? He's got left-wing positions. Yeah. He's got right-wing positions. He's got positions that defy categorization. I mean, he's really not an ideological candidate. Uh, he's... He, uh, speaks to a certain frustration that exists in the electorate. Uh, But disaffected, frustrated people typically turn out at fairly low rates. So if Trump can somehow manage to get them to show up in primaries and caucuses, that will be a remarkable political phenomenon. We'll see how well that plays out. Does it in any way equate to his turnouts? I mean, every time you hear Donald talk, he talks about how many people come to his, his rallies. I mean... Is, is there an equation between attendance at rallies and voting? Uh, traditionally, the answer to that is no. Huh. That is, measuring people's crowds on the campaign trail has turned out over time to be a fairly poor predictor of how they're actually going to do in the primaries and caucuses. Just to give you an example, uh, Bernie Sanders draws much bigger crowds than Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. But nobody thinks Bernie Sanders is going to win the That's a great point. Uh, so it's like you're going for a show more. You're maybe not with Bernie, but you're going for an event. Exactly. For with Trump's rallies, a lot of people are there just to see the circus. They're not necessarily (laughs) expecting to to vote for Donald Trump. Yeah. Uh, They just, they see it as an event. It's, uh, it's, you know, rather like somebody who might go attend a WWE wrestling match, uh, an event with which Trump once had an association, by the way. (laughs) Uh, but if, if, if people go see WWE, um, some of the people there are true believers and think this is a real sport. Other people are sort of know that this is not for real, but they're just there to witness the spectacle and have sort of a bemused, fun experience. Yeah. And I think there's some of that going on with Trump's rallies. That's a great way to put it, the circus. Um, it really – I guess this is probably why he, he can – he's successfully able to draw 25 percent maybe of the vote because, I mean, he really – he he's not going to just win over all of the GOP, but he's going to get that maybe disaffected part. Exactly. And in a crowded field, which is certainly what the Republicans have right now, 
25% is enough to make you the front runner right. uh, because the rest of the candidates are dividing up the vote into so many little slices. The, the problem is that, that Donald Trump seems to have a hard cap on his level of support. Uh, it's hard to envision him going that much beyond 25 to 30 percent of the vote, because while Trump has more people who list him as their first choice than anybody else, he's also got more people who list him as their last choice <laughs> than anybody else. Uh, and, you know, I don't think a lot of people think of Donald Trump as their second choice. Yeah. Uh, that is, either either you are on board with Donald Trump or you think that a Trump candidacy would be a nightmare. And, and therefore, I think as the field starts to get winnowed and as the non-Trump options become fewer, I think it's much easier for a candidate other than Trump to consolidate rapidly uh, some of the votes from other people mm. than it would be for Trump himself to do. Do you, do you agree with uh, Governor Scott Walker, who was in the race and then got out of the race, uh, he said, to, I guess, to clear the field? Do you believe that some of these people, maybe at the, the lower uh, end of the polling, maybe those that aren't polling at all, uh, ought to get out so to allow votes and attention and focus to go elsewhere? I think so. You want to extend to people the, the right to have their shot in Iowa and New Hampshire. Uh, but if you haven't broken through in Iowa or New Hampshire, it's time to leave. And we start we will start to see an exodus uh, after that point. Um, people want to hang around in Iowa because there's a long track record of candidates roaring out of nowhere to catch fire in the last week or two uh, before the Iowa caucuses to end up doing well. And, and everybody kind of hopes that they'll be that person. That happened with John Kerry in 2004, and he went on to become the Democratic nominee. That's Kerry right. came out of nowhere uh, to win the Iowa caucuses. Uh, likewise, uh, in, in uh, uh, 2012, Rick Santorum did very, very well in the Iowa caucuses, kind of coming out of nowhere. Now, you know, Santorum obviously didn't go on to be the Republican nominee, but a lot of people hope that they'll catch fire that way. Right. But, but it's, if they don't, it's, it is time to exit the field and, and let the winnowing process mm. begin. Hey, give me your take. Uh, it's rare that we have an expert that both knows politics and religion. What's your take on uh, Donald Trump's latest comments about uh, immigration of Muslims into this country, banning it? Well, uh, I mean, I'll say substantively, I think the proposal is ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's ridiculous and is offensively over the top and broad brush. Now, putting that aside, saying politically, uh, I think this may be the, the time where he's begun to go too far. Now, we've said that before, and it hasn't, and his <laughs> yeah. uh, statements have not ended He started that way, right? He started with all of us saying, uh, that, whole, that whole Mexico border thing, you've gone too far. Right. And, and that ended up not hurting him. Now, I, I don't think it will hurt him that much with the 25 percent of people that he's got now. Right. But what it does do, I think, is really solidify in the minds of some people who might have been on the fence that Trump is just a completely unacceptable choice as mm. a presidential nominee. I think it cements in the minds of a lot of other Republicans that – Trump at the top of the ticket would be an epic disaster for the Republican Party. Uh, and and I, I think it, it, that comments like this that are so widely condemned and, and just so beyond the pale 
serve to reinforce for people the idea that they need to pull out all the stops and do whatever they can to prevent Trump from being Mm. Republican. What do you think he's doing? Because it it seems like to me he's an incredibly smart marketer. He knows trends. He knows how to move people. So he it seems like to me he must think this would somehow serve him. I, I personally believe he's just trying to suck all of the air out of the election until January. But well, because I, I have a hard time believing that. that this is where he would want to go. I mean, it seems like what he'd want to start doing is winning the rest of the conservative vote, not right. alienating people. This is the problem, uh, because while these kind of remarks serve to keep him in the news, they serve to fire up the you know 25 percent of the Republican Party right. that already says that they support him. Right. Uh, they, they serve to you know reinforce his image as a guy who speaks his mind and somebody who thinks outside the box and all of that. Uh, what it doesn't do is create any kind of a viable path to actually being president right. of the United States. Because at some point, if you really want to be president of the United States, and he claims that that is his goal and that is his end game, uh, if that's what you really want, you have to ultimately win over not just your 25 percent of the Republican Party base. You've got to win a majority of support within the Republican Party. And then eventually you have to win a majority of support right. in the whole country. Right. To be president of the United States, you've got to put together a broad national coalition and alienating systematically one group after <laughs> another just doesn't create a viable path to winning 50 percent plus one of the American electorate. And, and so I think that, you know, Trump's keeping himself in the news. But if the goal is ultimately really to be president of the United States, I think he set himself back. Well, maybe and maybe that just taught us what his real goal is, is just to remain in the news. If he just wants to remain viable, this is going to be marketable for a long time. He'll make a lot of money off of this. Right. Although, you know, I don't know. I don't know how much money he's actually making. No, right now he's not. Yeah, it's hard to figure out uh, because he actually has had a little bit of commercial blowback from his uh, campaign in that some retailers are starting to drop his Trump line. That's true, huh? uh, And things like that. But the notoriety that he's gotten is is enormous. Of course, Donald Trump didn't lack for notoriety before, (laughs) but it just it seems like he's having a really good time. Uh, And on some level, we should not discount the impact of just the fun factor. Yeah, uh, that he's loving. And and, you know, at some point, maybe he gets tired of it. But there's no there's no sign of that so far. Well, and one thing I mean, it doesn't always work because it's always inflammatory. But one thing he does do is he sets agendas. I mean, he gets everybody talking. He has he has everybody at least discussing now more about what we should be doing with borders and immigration, but he does it in such an offensive way that everyone's kind of raw. So the conversation seems to turn pretty angry. It's true. And, you know, one effect in some ways is it it could provide over time some cover to someone like Ted Cruz, who is, you know, very, very uh, strong uh, anti-illegal immigration, uh, really is a hardliner on immigration issues, refugee issues. Um, Trump, though, is so outrageous, so over the top on those questions that he can make Cruz's positions look reasonable by comparison. Yeah. Cruz is moderate, so, right? Exactly. 
So, I mean, and Cruz has been very effective yeah. at triangulating that in the sense of positioning himself as a candidate who can say, look, I'm, I'm very conservative, but I'm not crazy. <laughs> and and that, that's the alternative that, that that's right. uh, he can position himself as. And, I, and in that sense, you know, and if you notice, Cruz is, of all the candidates in the field, the one least likely to criticize Trump. He right. doesn't come out and endorse what Trump says, right? Cruz didn't say, yeah, Trump is right. No Muslim should be able to come right. to the United States. He's not going to say that. But on the other hand, he doesn't make the kind of uh, condemnation statements that other Republicans do. He just wants to sort of draft in Trump's wake for right now. Yeah. Just kind of follow along, waiting for Trump eventually to stumble uh, and, and eventually for that support to start to evaporate once the voting actually takes place. And, and to try to position himself as the heir to those, uh, you know, angry, disaffected Trump supporters. Mm. We'll see how how well that works for him. That is, you know, I think I think that's such uh, such great analysis. Well, Dr. Wilson, we appreciate you. This is great insight. And uh, keep up the wonderful research there. Uh, we're going to have you back. I, I really want to get into also your work on the religious side and what's happening with the evangelical vote. And is it as powerful as it used to be? So we'll have to have you back to talk to us about that. Well, that would be great. I would enjoy that. Dr. Matthew Wilson, again, from SMU, uh, really just a great resource. You see him all over the news. He's He's been on every channel. Uh, we truly appreciate him. He's a great insight. We'll take a break, folks. Come back and uh, do a quick wrap-up of this first hour of the program. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. Welcome back, friends. Well, there you have it. Uh, You know, that interview with Dr. Wilson was from a few months ago. But when you think about it, uh, Mitt Romney now is forced to engage in the race. He's got to get in. He's got to get in. And apparently today at a speech at the University of Utah, he will basically uh, be talking about uh, Donald Trump as a phony and a fraud. It looks like he may also take a few shots at uh, Hillary Clinton as well. She's not going to be free from all of this. But, you know, it's and it's not even just Mitt Romney alone. A lot of the, you know, the fathers of the grand old party are coming out of the woodwork to talk about their view of uh, Donald Trump. Lindsey Graham's another one that is uh, he's 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 making his opinions known. Well, we'll be divided, but we're going to lose. I mean, the Hispanic community is trying to tell us that they want to be Republicans. We just won't let them. Uh, you know, Bush got 44 percent of their uh, Hispanic vote in 2004, and we're down to 27 percent. You'll never convince me that Donald Trump is the answer to the problem we have with the Hispanics. It will tear the party apart. It will divide conservatism. And we're going to lose to Hillary Clinton, have the third term of Barack Obama. But... But Donald says he's good with Hispanics. Hello, did you not watch what happened in Nevada? He's expanding the party. According to Trump, he's expanding the party. We have expanded the Republican Party. 
When you look at what's happened in South Carolina and you see the kind of numbers that we got in terms of extra people coming in, they came from the Democratic Party or the Democrat Party and the Democrats and their longtime Democrats and they were never going to switch and they all switched and they were independents. And we've actually expanded the party. (laughs) (laughs) He's expanded the party. I don't know what your problem is. So can he be stopped, you know, according to Lindsey Graham? Short of a major scandal, probably not. And if Marco doesn't win Florida, I don't know how he goes forward if Kasich loses Ohio. You know, Ted Cruz is not my favorite by any means, but we may be in a position where I have to rally around Ted Cruz is the only way to stop Donald Trump. So you would and I'm not so sure that would work. <laughs> it's it is the weirdest place for the GOP to be and they just aren't happy. They don't. Lindsey Graham is now saying, we may just have to support Ted Cruz. That's what this has come to. Anyway, it's a crazy, crazy political season. But uh, we'll hear more about it, I'm sure, later today with Mitt Romney's uh, remarks. But, you know, think about it. It's your election, too. That's hour number one, folks, of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. Come back next hour. Next hour, more ideas, more tools uh, to help you live longer, love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Your life coach here, Dr. Matt Townsend. Your guide on the side. This is the show where we give you the information that you need for your life. The tools, the ideas, the solutions today, by the way. Here's how to love your spouse even when they do things that are annoying. Hypothetically. Right. You don't want to actually assume there's something annoying happening. I mean, like my wife would ever do something annoying. (laughs) Right. But for some people out there, their spouses annoy them. And you don't want to just give up on them. Because you made a vow until death do us part. Do, do you think if your spouse does something annoying, you knew that before you got married? Or yeah. is it something that developed after the marriage? No, I think you knew it, but you thought it was cute. Oh, oh that okay. is so cute how you just click your jaw right. when you chew gum. I get that. Okay. little jaw clicker. That makes sense. There's, there's always something else like, oh, right, that wasn't as cute as it was before. Yeah, that just has lost its level of cuteness. And part of that's because when the chemistry's high, so I always say when uh, when chemistry's up, clarity is down. Mm. Right? Okay, yes, I, I follow yeah. you. And then when clarity's down, chemistry's up. In fact, you know what my wife does? Just what? kidding. What? We're not going no, there. No, not, I mean hypothetically. No, no, not even going to go hypothetical with that one. <laughs> okay, so are, are you saying marriage is kind of like a trap? Yes, it's it's what they call in the marketing world the mate and switch. Ooh. Everything seems rosy, then you mate, mm. and then the whole deal switches, and you realize she's mean, or she scares me, or he smells. 
Or I thought he would work more. But that's where you need to have a conversation. Well, that's right. That's and where discuss. I, that's where I make my big money. Yeah. Because that's where people fall apart. They can't talk about it? Well, yeah. Or the other side won't budge. Or well, both. They, end up, they end up fighting about it. Hmm. Because when you say I'm, you know, lazy, that them, them is fighting words. So you work really hard to get people together yeah. and then hope that they fight later mm-hmm. so that you have business. Oh, yeah. You're a monster. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Very true. I don't have to hope they'll have problems. It's natural in life. Most people aren't born with great communication conflict resolution skills. Whatever helps you sleep at night. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> it really is great. It's, it's, um, it's everyone. I mean, it's everybody eventually has to talk about difficult things that make us feel not so good. You know? Yeah. yeah I mean, just you, the best way to do it, though, is just go right for it. Just address the issue, rip the bandage off. Make it uncomfortable and just talk about it. I hate it when your jaw clicks. It's hard to do that because, you know, it's uncomfortable, obviously. See, but what people do is they do, the, they do something opposite of that. They, like, they drop hints. Wow, do you hear that clicking, ratcheting sound? It sounds like somebody's taking a buzz saw to a tree limb. See, I can pop both my ankles. Why? I don't know. Just you know so- that's wrong. It, it works. It I know does. it's fun right now, and, and but when you, you're 90... If you put it up against, my foot up against the wall and then crack my ankle, it amplifies it. <laughs> so it just drives my wife nuts. Now, I know this, and I do it because of that. Yeah. But eventually she says, knock it off. And so I do. See? You just have to know something's annoying. Yeah. But I think the problem is people don't know things are annoying. Yeah. And so you do them because that's just how you live. And then finally the other person just had it. But do they choose to address it or do they just internalize it and turn it into a bigger problem? I say address it. Just go for it. Well, right. You, you would be what we call a pursuer. You would want to address it. But many times you would be married to somebody that doesn't like the conflict and they would become what we call the withdrawer. Mm. So when you, want to, when you want to get the game on, they want to just get their giddy up on and get out of there. So then there's the chase. Then you corner her. Okay. And then you've got her. <laughs> then you pounce. <laughs> Ooh. She's all yours. Mm. And then you corner her, and then it's done. And then a bunch of flying monkeys come in. There you go. And then the roll credits. And then the roll credits. It's a great I movie. That's great analysis. Thank you very much. <laughs> and then you just cuddle. <laughs> then it's cuddle time. I really have no idea what advice I got from this. This is this Nothing, is marriage really. 101, Ben. Like all of a sudden the Wizard of Oz came into it yeah. and I'm that might this might be the most accurate portrayal of what marriage is. Mm-hmm. It can be just chaos. Oh yeah. And oh you got to add this. Money. It's expensive. Very expensive. Especially when she wants to remodel. You're like, "Seriously? What is the deal? We never even used this room. Oh, we would if we remodeled it." Ugh. <laughs> and then you remodel it, and you still don't use it. Well, she wants to put the TV in there, so we'll use it. Yeah, I mean, the TV's there. Right. There's a reason to go into that room. You mean my mistress? <laughs> my other best friend? You mean my mistress, Samsung? <laughs> That's so sad. 
Hopefully, uh, this reenactment uh, has not scared people away from the show. I think it's I brought a not. very, a very just nice reality. I think it's been enlightening. I think yeah. people have learned. They've grown. A lot have grown. <laughs> we could spice it up with a joke. Ooh, let's not no, do no, that. No, 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 Ben. There's we, cer- certain minefields in yeah. life you try to stay away from. For those that uh, you know don't listen to the show regularly, we do not allow Ben to tell jokes anymore. Whoa. Because he found some jokes that they weren't like risque. They weren't dirty jokes. No. They were just really um, inappropriate. Yes. Insensitive. Insensitive is the word. Yeah. Yeah. Insensitive. And then we had to hear about it. Well, yeah. Days. Well, luckily, luckily, uh, our the leaders of our company, our organization, listened to the show. Apparently, fairly closely. Yeah. <laughs> so we got to we got to take it for Ben's lack of humor. Yeah, I I didn't hear much about that. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. We kind of buffered that for you. Oh, okay. Thanks. Mm-hmm. <sighs> no jokes for you. So we'll be speaking with Dr. Jane Greer about here's how to love your spouse even after you discover his most annoying habits. His or hers. Okay. Just There's. so we're equal opportunity here. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, uh, well, <laughs> yeah, that's just sad. Hey, I'm, by the way, I'm going, to, uh, I'm going to San Antonio, Texas. Yes, I heard about that. I'm going to go hang out. I'm going to go on the river, ride the river in a kayak. What are the rapids? What are the rapids like in San Antonio? There are no rapids. It is a lazy river that you float through. <laughs> I want rapids. I bet there are rapids somewhere in Texas. Just not in San Antonio. No. Not on the river walk. Not on the river walk. <laughs> All right. Then I won't bring my helmet. Hey, uh, let's get to the headlines, Terry. What else is going on around the rest of the world? Thanks, Matt. Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid had no sympathy for the Republican establishment on Wednesday when he singled out Donald Trump as being the GOP's Frankenstein following his massive gains on Super Tuesday. Republicans have spent the last eight years stoking the fires of resentment and hatred building Trump piece by piece. Today, the Republican establishment acts like it's surprised by Donald Trump and his victories around the country. Republicans shouldn't be surprised. They spent eight years laying the groundwork for the rise of Donald Trump. Well, what was Harry Reid doing? Serving pastries for the last eight years? Yeah, he doesn't. It's, he's not talking about him. Oh, he's yeah, talking right. about uh, them. Oh, the Senator Reid continued Donald Trump was the ultimate fulfillment of the Republican Party's legacy of obstruction and resentment. Republicans created him by spending seven years appealing to some of the darkest forces in America. Now it's up to the Republicans to try to undo what they've mm. done mm. by denouncing Donald Trump. Okay, you know what? Let me just suggest something. Democrats, be careful. Because you may be misunderstanding this anger, and it doesn't just reside in the GOP. So when Hillary takes down the burn, guess what's going to happen? Donald Trump's going to go after a certain portion of those angry burnsters, and he'll get them. He'll get them. And then— Because they're closer to Trump than they uh are to Hillary. And he'll be able to to tie it just as boldly to to the president as— as Sir Harry Reid just tied it to the, the GOP. GOP. The White House is reportedly in the process of vetting Jane L. Kelly 
K E L L E Y. Would you say Kelly or Keeley? Kelly. Kelly. I don't know. As a possible nominee to fill the late Supreme Court Justice Antonin Scalia's seat, Kelly currently serves as a federal appellate judge and was unanimously confirmed by the Senate just three years ago. Her nomination would make a difficult situation for Senator Chuck Grassley, the Republican head of the Judiciary Committee, because he had heavily praised her upon confirmation. I congratulate Miss Kelly on her accomplishments hmm. and wish her well in her duties. Grassley said in 2013 uh, to his fellow. Iowan, so he's she's from his state. Yeah, on top of that, you can't so mess that up. I'm pleased to support her in confirmation and urge my colleagues to join me. Grassley and other Republican legislative leaders have insisted they will not hold confirmation hearings on SCOTUS a SCOTUS nominee before the election. <laughs> Nice nice play, President. Nice pick. Let's see what happens there. <laughs> Interesting. The U.S. Department of Defense will invite computer security experts to hack into the Pentagon as part of the agency's efforts to fortify its cyber defense programs. The DOD initiated initiative mirrors that of a commercial software company that offers awards to hackers who can spot security vulnerabilities in the coding. It will be the first cyber bug bounty program in the U.S. government's history. Participants, hopefully, will not gain access to the department's classified networks, and they will... Uh, they won't be allowed to launch any cyber attacks on DOD public sites. Hmm. So they're like, you know, bummer. They're, they're testing their systems. Right. The lawyer for recaptured drug lord Joaquin El Capo Guzman said mm-hmm. Wednesday that his client wishes to be extradited to the U.S. because Mexican maximum security prison guards won't allow him to sleep. According to the lawyer, the guards torture El Chapo by repeatedly waking him up. The cartel leader hopes to negotiate with the U.S. authorities for a lighter sentence and a medium security prison stint. Preferably one with a tunnel already dug to the restroom area. <laughs> Can you give me an, an escape route, please? Um, and something orange and insulting to Mexican culture is sending Americans scurrying for the Canadian border. What? Orange? Orange and insulting to Mexican culture. A wall? I came in like a no. It's uh, not not Donald Trump. It's orange. At least not yet. But he is orange. He is orange. Taco Bell's Cheeto Crunch Wrap Slider. Taco Bell is now stuffing its popular crunch wraps with jalapeno flavored Cheetos. As Business Insider points out, they're only available in Canada, but American customers seem pretty excited regardless. Taco Bell in Canada have Cheetos crunch wrap sliders. I'm moving to Canada, tweets one soon to be expat. Might move to Canada for that uh, that cheese wrap, crunch, whatever. So people are saying they want to go to Canada and get a Taco Bell. Holy but it's cow. got Cheetos in it. Don't get me wrong. I Would you love, eat that? Would oh, you eat that? I love Cheetos, but I love my heart <laughs> and I love my life. And I'm not about to throw it all away for a taco. For a burrito? Absolutely. So Don't now get there, me wrong. there's a debate. Yeah. Because moving to Canada is trending yeah. on different social media platforms. Is it the, as they're calling it, the Cheetos Crunch Wrap Slider? Is that what's driving them? Or is it Trump? Because there's a lot of people that want to leave the country if he. Becomes president. I heard that that was the name of Trump. That's his um, Secret Service hand handling name. What's it called? Uh, Cheeto. Cheeto Crunchwrap Slider. I thought that's what they were calling him. It'd be kind of difficult. You know, like they give they give him a code name like Maverick. What's your name? Cheeto Crunchwrap Slider. The Cheeto Crunchwrap's on the move. He's not orange, Ben. That's um, that's a. That's from Florida at his resort. It's like an earth tone orange. Yeah. It's dye number 12. Sprayed on. I think that alone says he's a different kind of candidate. 
doing things no other candidate will do. That's right. We will take a break, folks. When we come back, Dr. Jane Greer will be joining us and discussing how to love your spouse even when you discover that they have some annoying habits. You still got to love them. You made a commitment for crying out loud, right? Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer and love stronger right here on BYU Radio. For your face, your voice, your clothing, let's just say, I love it all. Every little trait, however small, makes my very flesh. Welcome back, everybody. What better song to introduce this next subject than Wicked? Something from Wicked. It's a great, great production. Uh, we are going to be talking about. You know, when your love, you know, those beautiful rose-colored glasses you have when you fall in love and, you know, your partner is perfect. They can't do anything wrong. You know, and then you tie the knot. And once the knot is tied, the rose-colored glasses sometimes turn into microscopic microscopes. And you start, you know, focusing in on the very specific things that drive you crazy. So what are we supposed to do when all of a sudden we find out that our partner's human, they have things we don't necessarily like. How do we handle some of these annoying habits with our partner? Well, who better to teach us than marriage and family therapist, Dr. Jane Greer. She's joining us from New York City to help us find a balance between our ability to find the good and balance it with just the normal kind of annoying things our spouses might do and how to love them anyway. Dr. Jane Greer, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here and to be talking about finding the balance so that you wind up loving your partner yeah. rather than hating them. I, I call. I used to call it in my book, love you mean it, hate you mean it, because <laughs> we flip in those moments when they do things that irritate us. We sit there and say, how could I have married this person? How could I be living with this person? What was I thinking? <laughs> and, of course, when they go back to being their charming, loving selves, it's, oh, my God, I love them so much. They're so wonderful. But really being able to navigate the slippery slope of love you mean it, hate you mean it moments. And it's real. It's, it's, we, you don't want to, like, put a sour taste about marriage, but the reality is, is you're, you're dealing with somebody and it's not always going to be just that chemical nirvana that you feel when you're first dating. Well, you said it because it, it's, it's important certainly to have the chemical nirvana, but the reality is then you're living with that person up close and personal, and they see you and you see them for all their habits, better or worse, annoying ones, sneakers left out, dishes in the sink, snoring, staying up late when you need to get to bed early. All the differences that just wind up driving everybody crazy. <laughs> Is it – do we just learn to just live with it? Should we try to ignore it? Should we try to correct it? Well, that's a great question, Matt. The most important thing you want to do is avoid trying to correct it because correcting equals controlling, and that is the fastest track to fighting, clashing, and combat. You never want to try and control your partner. First of all, not only will they resent you, but probably up the ante and do more of the thing that's annoying you to start with. But second of all, these are behaviors and their habits, which means they're really difficult for a lot of people to change. 
So rather than trying to get them to be different and change them, you want to find a way to manage them and contain them so that you can live with them and not be plagued by them. Mm. So really it's about containment. It's about, uh, I guess, you know, minimizing the negative, maximizing the positive, I guess. Well, for example, if you have a partner who says, I'll do the dishes, honey, don't worry, I'll do the dishes, and the dishes are in the sink the next morning. And, of course, you want to either have a clean sink or you're going to be starting some cooking and have to do the dishes and you're angry and you're resentful. And it's building and building like the dishes piling up in the sink. So is your anger. So what can you do? Are you forced you know, to live with it and wind up feeling controlled by their messy behavior? What I suggest people do is instead I say, look, Make a choice about what's more important to you. You're really dealing with certain pick-your-poison moments when you're up against negative behaviors. So you can either be angry and resentful and live with the negative behavior, or you can say, you know what, this is so annoying to me. I'd rather have a clean sink, and I'd rather do the dishes because I'll be more comfortable. Mm. And then when you make the choice to do the dishes, you're not resentful and you're not angry. And the expression, it all comes out in the wash. You can look to your partner to handle other things that they do well, that they don't mind doing, that come more readily and easily to them and take some of the burden of responsibility off of your plate. Hmm. Well, what would you say, because I can hear it just from my own clients, well, so that means I end up having to do everything. So what I say is, well, in some instances, Yes, yeah. you're going to do more because it doesn't line up even, Stephen. One of the first lessons we learn as children is no fair. Yeah, <laughs> you know, exactly. That's, that's what kids start immediately. The, the crux of sibling rivalry is no fair. How come she stays up two hours later? Well, she's two years older. You know, So learning that it's not always fair, and rather than measuring and keeping score and going tit for tat, you're finding that middle ground and the balance where if you say, you know what, it's more important to me. Like, for example, I have clients where the wife will be doing all these little tender favors for their spouse. You know, they're doing the laundry, they're folding it, they're picking up the dry cleaning, and they'll say to the husband, why can't you just do this one little thing? I do all these things for you. And the husband will say, well, you know, I really appreciate that, but... Those things are really not that important to me anyway. Mm. If you weren't doing them, I wouldn't care. And the wife will say, but I like to fold the laundry for you, and I like to clean the house for you, and I like to do this. And so when people have different priorities, that's how you really try and find the working balance and the working middle ground in terms of, all right, if you like to do it, great, I enjoy it, but don't look for me to do it because right. I don't like to. Well, and it, that's, I guess, part of this, too, is some people have an expectation that the kitchen has to be completely spotless and clean in order to go to bed. So some of this is about managing what you expect to right. happen, and I may not have that expectation. I don't even expect to eat off of a plate. <laughs> and you know, Exactly, and that's another thing. I oftentimes will suggest to people, look, if you really don't want to do the dishes – then simply say, you know what, I don't want to be weighted down with all this responsibility. We're using paper plates. Mm -hmm. And if your partner doesn't like it, well, that's just too bad. Because if they are going to want to be eating on regular plates, then they're going to need to to pitch in. And if not, trim it down and tailor it to what works for you. Mm. 
It really is. That's, I guess, why the balance is the word here is we, we have to kind of balance my history, my view, my needs, and and I guess to make sure it doesn't turn into something that's a need turns or something that it's like a – I call it an assumed necessity, something you assume have to has to be a certain way. That's not a law. That's not a universal truth. Exactly. And you said it before, Matt, that we all have our expectations. We come from our own families where either the dishes were done every night, the laundry never piled up, or else it did. And so we've all learned a certain threshold of tolerance, what's okay and what doesn't bother us, as opposed to what does. And of course, when you're living with somebody else, then you have to manage your expectations vis-a-vis theirs. And the most important thing is to first and foremost know who your partner is, know what they enjoy and what they're going to do and what they're not, and keep your expectations realistic. Mm. And you brought up a great um, point about you can't hold a grudge. Right. The worst thing, the most, you know, like, like taking poison and then just sitting there and waiting for it to invade your system, holding a grudge and being resentful will corrode your relationship faster than a speeding bullet. You, you need to use your anger, your frustration, your disappointment to carve out a different way of managing whatever's going on that's upsetting you so much. If you keep it to yourself, if you shoulder the resentment, not where you're shouldering the responsibility and saying, okay, I'm going to do this, but where you're doing it begrudgingly mm. and resentfully and thereby are going to be holding on to that grudge, you're going to look either on a deliberate, intentional level or just not even aware to retaliate, to get back at your partner, to annoy them, to make them miserable. And that just leads to what I call tit-for-tat, back and forth, and it it just leads to clashing and arguing. Yeah, and and it seems like it becomes the fuel to justify my mistreatment of you, and you can then justify your mistreatment of me, and down we go. Exactly. You said it. And so it's it's really important to know when you're living with somebody, you're going to have differences. They're not going to like the same food as you. They're probably going to go to bed way different times. You'll probably be a night bird. They'll be an early bird. You'll want to stay up. They'll want to go to bed. You know, you'll hate uh, certain kinds of foods. You'll hate vegetables. They'll love it. That's the way relationships tend to line up. Mm. We, you know, it's rare is it that you find your mirror image who, oh, you like to stay up late, me too. Oh, you love vegetables, me too. It doesn't happen that often. And, and it's great where you have those things in common. Don't get me wrong, people do. But the challenge of making your relationship work, which is why we call it making it work, is finding your way through the things that you don't have in common that are not the same. Yeah. No, this is this is huge. Let's let's take a break and come back more with Dr. Jane Greer. If you go to her website, drjanegreer.com, you can find a lot of her um, articles, her information, her books, everything, everything she's been working on. And uh, we're going to come back and figure out. So what do we do to love them in spite of these annoying traits for basic tools uh, from an article she wrote in glamour.com? Uh, stick with us, folks. Doing what we can to uh Help you live longer, love stronger. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back.
friends to the Matt Townsend Show. So how are we supposed to deal with our spouse's annoying habits? Are we just becoming so selfish that it just it's all about us and they've got to be perfect? Do you do you try to control them? Do you walk away? Well, our expert uh, on the subject, Dr. Jane Greer, is joining us, and she's here today to talk to us about um, this important issue. This isn't. This is a very kind of universal problem in in a lot of relationships. Most relationships, there are going to be things that that are difficult. And and I think that's part of why we're in a relationship. Dr. Jane Greer is a marriage and family therapist. She's joining us from New York City. Also, by the way, the author of the book, What About Me? Uh, basically to help us stop selfishness from ruining our relationship. Dr. Jane Greer, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here talking about this because this is one of the biggest points of contention between couples. I hear it all the time in my office. Why can't he? Why can't she? Why don't you? And, you know, the anger and the blame and the criticism that, you know, just gets dragged along around these habits Mm. is really powerful and problematic. In in, in your article in Glamour.com, you, you talk about four uh, four tools, I guess, to help us find the love in spite of the annoying traits. One of them is figure out why the habit annoys you so much. That's that's really important. Yeah, it's really helpful because sometimes you'll see the person's behavior as deliberate and intentional to annoy you. You know, like, for example, one couple, the husband would take his sneakers off and leave them in the middle of the room wherever he took them off, you know. And the wife would say to him, can't you just push your Put your sneakers away. Put them on the side of the room. Just Or don't take them off in the middle of the room. And he would continue to do it mm. because it was a habit. And, of course, she saw it as his doing it deliberately to annoy her when, in fact, it had nothing to do with her. That was the way um, his family was, was raised and in her family. So when we talked about it and I said, well, what about why is it so bothersome to you? Well, that was never permitted in her family, Hmm. that, you know, you would be called lazy, sloppy, you'd get into trouble. So there was a certain precision and order that was never tolerated, and it felt so um, uh, angry and and felt like something that was so wrong to do that she really couldn't handle it. And so being able to appreciate where your notions come from, why you're very rigid about something, why it's so important, helps you to be a little more understanding, a little more tolerant, and ease up. And even for the husband um, to know that seems like it might make it easier for him to put them away if if he finds out how deeply it tortures her. Well, that's a great point. Sometimes even though behaviors are just that, habits, and they're hard to break, when you understand that it's so upsetting to your partner, it suddenly becomes a desire to please them, to make them happy. And that's the motivation to make the change. Mm. That is, that's powerful, because if I could get to the emotional connection for my wife, then it becomes more emotional for me, and it might, that might actually help me think more about what I'm doing. You said it. And and the real key is to move it from doing something because you have to, because your wife is angry at you and you're doing something wrong, 
to making the choice to do it because it's going to make her feel good mm. and you can please her. And the, the absolute core of all of our relationships is that we basically want to please our partners. Yeah. We want them – we want to have them happier. We want them to feel more love, more joy. Another tool you talk about is to ask, what am I willing to do to stop getting annoyed? Right. And that goes back to what we were talking about before, which is sometimes to stop getting annoyed if you make a conscious decision that you're going to handle it, even though you're doing a little bit more in the short run, you're going to be providing yourself more relief in the long run. And again, everything is not even, things don't line up exactly, so it very well may be that you're doing more hands-on with the dishes, but your partner's going to handle all the responsibility with the car and getting the gas and handling the, you know, the insurance, or they're going to get the car clean more often than you are. It, there's, a, there's a give and a take that is what keeps relationships in line and balanced. And people say, if he loved me, he would just put the shoes away. Yeah, well, that is one of the biggest below-the-belt notions in love. If you loved me, you would is all about control prove it to me, show me that I'm more important to you than you. And there are times when we can accommodate and say, well, I do love you and I'm willing to do that. And there are times when I do love you, but what you're asking is either impossible, it's not who I am, it doesn't allow the recognition of and respect for what's important to me, it leaves no room for my individuality and autonomy. And so it really, you have to navigate and really be aware that when you say, well, if you love me, you would, what are you asking your partner to do? And is it giving up who they are and their self-expression? Hmm. And, and, and instead, if you ask, what am I willing to do to, to stop getting annoyed? It immediately puts the ball back in your circle of influence, something you can do. Exactly. And that's the most important thing, even though you may be upset that, you, that you're doing more, at least you're going to have the relief of things are the way that you like them, and you're not going to be angry, and you're not going to be feeling controlled by the other person because you've taken control. Now, I can hear somebody in my ear just saying, you know, but that right there, right there, that's when you're enabling them to be dysfunctional, because now you're putting his shoes away. <laughs> yeah, well... The truth of the matter is you're not enabling them. This is who they are. And the likelihood you, you have a choice. You can live with how they are and fight with them around it and get locked into a power struggle and a parental, you know, mom-child issue with them, which you will never win. Right. Or you can say, you know what, you don't have to put the shoes away, but you can say, you know what, I'm going to find a pile, and here's your pile, and just make a pile of all their stuff. They can go through it and sort it out. I, couples do that all the time with one person drops their clothes or won't put it in the hamper. I say to them, look, it's not fair that you have to trip over their clothes or deal with their dirty laundry. Pick a place, put it in the corner, and then let them deal with it. So it's not appropriate to just take those shoes and throw them out the window into <laughs> Manhattan. Well, you'd be better off to aim at their head, I would suppose, right? Honey, have you <laughs> no. seen my shoes? No, I haven't, honey. Where did you put them? <laughs> yeah, it, it's really, that's the urge 
but really we fight all our hate you mean it urges to get to higher ground where we can stay looped into love you mean it and accept our partners for who they are and the limitations that they have and the behaviors that annoy us and picking and choosing our issues. Mm. You also have to you mentioned that you have to focus on what he's doing right because the annoying behavior might only be a, a small percentage of who he is. Right. Exactly right. And a lot of times you said it, that people do lock in like laser, you know, like uh, they're on it in terms of what their partner is doing that's annoying, that's irritating. You're doing this intentionally. You're doing this deliberately. And I hear so many times, but they're not noticing what I'm doing right. Hmm. I did this. I did that. I did the dishes. I took care of the kids. I got this one ready. I got the bath. I handled this. And all they're pointing to is I didn't make breakfast or I didn't do that. So it really is a matter of being aware and not just being aware, but using that awareness to help you build your tolerance for the things that they're not doing, which are annoying, but against the big picture, not such a big deal. Yeah, not a big deal at all. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, in the end, it's, it balances out, back to the word balance. Right. And being able to... Have your minus column, but also have your plus column so that you can appreciate what your partner is doing. And one person who said to me, you know, I was just so angry that he did this and this and this and this. And then I realized my expectations were not realistic. And then when I started to look at all the things he did do and what I had, I started to feel so grateful and appreciative that I had a husband that I, who cares about me, who does this, who does that, who does this, who does that. And so what? If, I mean, I don't like it, but I can live with it. And it completely changed the landscape of the, the emotional landscape of their marriage. It's it's a uh, it almost seems like we end up, pro, you know, promoting the annoying behavior to bigger than life status simply because we occupy more, occupy more time on it. But if, if we'd occupy just as much time onto the things he's doing well, it would put it in perspective. You know, and for the people out there who say, well, he's not doing anything well or she's not doing anything well, you need to look a little closer. That's another problem right there, right? Well, and, and most of the time, our partners are trying to please us. They really are. It's just that a lot of times we're angry or resentful about what they're not doing, so you don't take in or focus on what they are doing, and it becomes a really losing battle. Yeah, And then they get discouraged and they get disgusted and they say, what's the point? Why should I try if she's not even noticing? And then you really get locked into a much bigger loop of negativity and disappointment. Mm. Eventually, I guess, too, we can we talk about it, right? We bring it up and we share. Well, hopefully. That's the optimal. A lot of times, unfortunately, people don't bring it up and share. They wind up fighting about it. Out of the blue, they'll lash out. Or they'll say something, you know, hurtful and and awful, you're such a lazy slob, or you only think of yourself, or you're so selfish, or, you know, you're just like your mother. I mean, miserably upsetting statements. And that's what you want to avoid. That's what you want to not do. Hmm. And how do you, how do you, how do I, you know, I don't know, bridge this subject? How do I say, okay, hey, I wanted to talk to you about this problem? Yeah, great question. You say to your partner... Look, you don't wait for a moment of 
combustion where you're going at it with each other, but you make a point to say, you know, I wanted to have a conversation. When's a good time for us to talk? Are you around Saturday morning? Can we talk in the afternoon? And you plan a neutral time where you're feeling compatible, and you say, look, I wanted to, you know, mention I'm constantly tripping over your sneakers, or I'm really starting to feel frustrated because you're telling me you're going to do the dishes, and you're not. So you start with the behavior, what you're observing, and how you're feeling. I'm, I'm feeling upset. I'm noticing this. And I'd like to talk about what can we do to handle this differently. you have any ideas? I mean, oh, I'm going to do the dishes. I'm going to do the dishes. Yeah, you're, you said that. You said that. But now it doesn't seem to be happening. What else? You know, what about if I do the dishes and you take on more responsibility for such and such? So you come to the conversation with the intention and also perhaps a short list of problem-solving options to implement. Mm. I, I found than it being fighting, you, the goal when you're angry is to figure out what do we need to change? What do we need to do differently so this doesn't continue to be a source of frustration and, and problems? Yeah. I, I found um, like when my wife says – Hey Matt, can you do like she'll always give me a to do list, a honey do list, but but she always lets me pick, right? So there's ten things on the list that need to get done, and she pretty much knows which ones I'll choose, and um and then she's like, if you could have those done by noon, so that we could go do this, or so that we could then relax. See, one thing I found is a lot of times there's not an incentive for me to do it, um, just whatever it is. Sometimes because she's not going to relax anyway. Right. And, and that's a great point because people have their own timetables of when they want something done. And also the other problem is they have their own styles and preferences. I have had so many couples where one person stops helping altogether because they'll clean up the kitchen and then the other person's coming in behind them and redoing it. Right. And they're saying, well, you know, why am I wasting my time? You don't like it anyway, so just do it. You know, so it, it's true. Looking to find the middle ground, what's fair, and you handle this, especially if you have a particular style or preference, you like the way you clean up and you can't stand the way your partner does, all right, handle cleanups and let them handle something that you don't like and that they do more readily. That's it. I mean, this is just balance. You said it. You keep, you're the one. You said it 100 years ago, question of balance. Yeah. Well, Dr. Jane Greer, we appreciate it. Uh, What would you say as we wrap it up is the one thing? If there's one thing I should take away and remember um, about managing, um, handling my partner's annoying habits, what's the one thing that makes the biggest difference? I would say keep your expectations of what they can and can't do realistic and make a choice for yourself about what's going to make you the most comfortable. Take control for yourself rather than trying to control them. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and then you're free. Then done, but very powerful. Totally. To yeah, and, and that's that ball is in your court, so you can do that today. You said it. DrJaneGreer.com is the website. Uh, Dr. Jane, thanks for being with us. Thank you. Pleasure. Have you a great bet. day. You too. Everybody, go check out the book, too. What About Me? Uh, stop Selfishness. That's the goal, right? Let's stop selfishness from ruining your relationship. It's uh, We live in a very me, me, me type of world, and if you want to make a marriage work, eventually you're going to have to make it a we kind of relationship, not just a me, me. Stick with us, folks. Uh, giving you the tools, information, the solutions you need for your relationships and life. 
right here on Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Holy cow. What do you do? What do you do? Well, what you don't do is this. In an effort to uh, lift the criminal element to a higher level, um, if you happen to have a do-it-yourself James Bond-style smokescreen device on your car in order to outrun the police... Uh, make sure you turn that smoke screen off <laughs> or you've just enabled the police to follow you for blocks. That's what happened to one of our uh, uh, criminal element uh, speeding driver who set off a James Bond style smoke screen device uh, and tried to then shake off the police was, uh, you know, was spared going to jail today. Simon Chaplin, 62, rigged a bucket of diesel, a pump. And pipes behind the passenger seat of his battered Peugeot 309 to produce colossal amounts of gray smoke from his exhaust pipe. Chaplin then activated the device when a police officer attempted to pull him over for speeding, covering the road with fumes. He was eventually cornered in the farmyard and convicted of causing a danger to the other road users, but was spared jail time and instead handed a community service uh, opportunity of 100 hours. You get to go serve the community for 100 hours. The court was told uh, that after setting off the device, Chaplin had tried uh, to evade police, but the officer was simply able to follow the billowing plumes of smoke to his home and make the arrest. Blasted. Oh, I was so close to getting away. Yeah. If, if, if you're going to try to do a little James Bond thing, a little James Bond moment, um, you gotta you gotta be able to turn it off and on, right? Smokes, you know. I, I probably would have just started with the grease spill, or maybe some nails, some tacks, a banana peel. Ooh, the old banana peel, dropping it like Mario from Mario Kart, or maybe even turtle shells for getting crazy. Yeah. Now, see, some of the younger, fo- older folk don't know what you're talking about, Ben. So on Mario Kart, you can shoot out a turtle shell. Yes, and that would knock other carts off of the path. Yeah, and there are different types of turtle shell- shells oh, that do yeah. different like levels of damage. Yeah, I'd go for a blue one personally. And are are there blue turtles? I uh, I don't know. I don't I don't know that I've never seen a blue turtle. So that's weird. Huh. Maybe that maybe they don't exist in real life, man. Of course they exist. Yeah, somebody's been playing too many video games. Drivers, be careful. You're not going to outrun your smokescreen. They always used to say, you can't outrun the radio, kids. You're not going to outrun the police radio. And you also can't outrun a smokescreen. Eventually, they're going to find you. Okay, that's hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Remember, you can find us uh, for the podcast and go back and listen to the shows again. You can take all of our past uh, topics with our guests. Share them with your friends on iTunes, on TuneIn. Go find the BYU Radio app. Download it. It's for Android. It's for uh, it's for your Apple uh, computer or your ma- or your uh, phone, folks. We got it. You can go back re- research it. Good stuff. 
We're here to help you live longer and find real solutions to your real-life problems. We'll take a break. Stick with us, folks. We'll be back. One more hour of The Matt Townsend Show up next. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Your life coach here, Dr. Matt, giving you a little hand to get through life. Every day, three hours a day, information, tools, solutions, ideas, what you need to live a healthier, happier life. Today, we're going to do it again. We're talking about how to have use your mind to overcome your body. Is that real? Do you think that's real? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. The positive thinking can overcome the No, I don't no? I don't I mean the positive, yeah, to a point, but I think it's more like distraction, meditation. I mean, yeah. You your your mind has only so much ability to focus on something. Hmm. And so if you distract yourself, you might be able to trick your mind to not noticing other pain. Like video games? Yeah. Play a video game mm. while sitting on a bed of nails. Works for me. You don't even need a bed of nails. I've got a couch you can borrow. Really? It feels like a bed of nails. Just uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. It's because I have boys and they throw pillows. And our pillows now have lost their, their pill. Their comfortness. They've lost their fluff. Now they're just projectiles for your sons to throw around. To whip each other with. But, I mean, can you heal yourself with your mind? Because that's, I guess, the extreme end of this. Yeah. There's there's people that you get diagnosed with cancer, and instead of going through the the medical treatment, they choose like an alternative treatment. I don't know. There's herbs and meditation and that kind of thing. Yeah. I think there are miracles. I don't know that there are – I don't know that I can always cure myself. Hmm. I mean it just seems like sometimes if you believe in a god, maybe it's the god's good with you coming home. Do you think a, a mix of both is a good uh, a good plan? Yeah. Here's what I believe. If the U.S. Army can develop a pizza that lasts for three years – It's amazing. Then there's amazing things we can still do. What do you think it tastes like? Three-year-old pizza. Three-year-old pizza. Okay. It's the true story. U.S. Army has uh, has invented a, a pizza that they can give to their soldiers, I guess, that can last up to three years in harsh conditions. The Army's Natick Soldier Research Development and Engineering Center has spent the past five years developing Meals Ready to Eat, MREs, number 37. MRE number 37 is a pizza pie. It's fully assembled and baked piece of pizza in one package, says the food technologist Lauren Olexix. Mm. By the way, there are some pizza places already mm-hmm. that have pizza that can last for three years. Yes, they do. This isn't new. No. It doesn't even seem like it's food science. But do, does their pizza grow extra ingredients as you leave it out right. on the table? Like other forms of cheese? Yes. 
No, this pizza. Some some naturally occurring penicillin or something. Yeah, they have figured out how to stop growing, how to how to make sure the pizza doesn't grow bacteria. Okay. Because of the dough and the sauce, right? You know that are all put. They they have a lot of stuff in there to make it taste better. And so th- this one, that that stuff ends up creating bacteria and other problems. But this pizza doesn't grow bacteria. Hmm. So if this gets out into the public, right, then you can get pizza. Mm-hmm. You have it for dinner, and then you have breakfast pizza. Yeah, which is always good. Right. But the next day is when it starts getting a little shaky sometimes. Yeah, then you could have, you know, the next day brunch pizza. If they could just keep it for maybe two days, you could have it for every meal for two days. That would be awesome. But you could keep it longer than that. You well, could I, save I, just need, I just need two days because after two days, it's like, all right, you, you start feeling like maybe. Well, I know, but next week you're going to want choices. pizza again. So just save it. Maybe you get another one. You just put it in your pocket, put it in your briefcase. Apparently, it comes prepackaged. Yeah. The neat thing about it, well, maybe it's, maybe they're missing the point here because maybe a little bacteria, a little penicillin, let's say, on the pizza may also be good for a soldier. Could be. Right? So it might be. Build up his natural defenses. Maybe they ought to let just a little bacteria grow just so as he's eating it, he's also being inoculated from the infections of the war zone and the pizza pie. Good job, military. I, I see all positives here. I don't see anything wrong with MRE number 37. A pizza could, that could last for three years. Nothing wrong with that. No. It's like when you uh, – there's a certain type of cheese product you can you can purchase at the store. And it's yeah. it's not in the refrigerated case. It's just sitting on the shelf next to the right. nacho chips or whatever. We call it cheese bullet. Yeah. And you're like, is that safe? Is that real cheese? Well, it's not real cheese. No. It, it might be partially real cheese, but there's other things in there making it so you can just sit on the shelf well, and be th- fine. It's got real cheese color. Yes. So it's 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 and it's impenetrable. It is. Plus it's great caulking. <laughs> it's good cheese. Weatherproof your home. <laughs> but I just I've always wondered when you have a product that every other type of cheese is refrigerated mm-hmm. except this one brand and it just sits on the shelf and you're like well, it comes from that special cow. I guess. Science is crazy when it comes to food. So That's why this, this is going to be a game changer. Now, Domino's doesn't have to deliver in a half hour. That's right. They've got three years. It kind of destroys. Have you seen their new uh, cars they have? With no. Them? They have a car. They're only in certain areas. But it's a car. And in the back half of it, instead of a hatchback, there's an oven. Wow. So they can slide. Like the, a portable oven. They slide the pizza in there and it keeps it warm. This is good? I, I guess. But they don't need that if you no. got a pizza that can last for three years. Right. I mean, what they ought to do is you should just be able to like have like a two-year supply of pizza delivered. At the same time. Yeah, you just keep it in your basement. Yeah. Food supply. Yeah, like for the, you know, for the Bundy guys that were up at the camp. In Oregon. That would have been a great thing. You could have had a two-year supply of pizza. They didn't have – it seemed like they needed more than three days because they may, yeah. maybe that was more of a spur-of-the-moment situation than they let on. If you're planning a standoff and you don't know how long it's going to last, order MRE number 37. Right. Just call up. They, they bring out the car. and It does a body good. You will have to provide your own bacteria, however, mm. which we've learned on the show. Go get a cup of dirt. Just a couple of dirt, cup of dirt, sprinkle it on the MRE number 37. The dirt cure. You're ready. You got it. 
It's all good. In a minute, we'll be speaking with Dr. Joe Marchant, who's going to talk to us about how your mind can really uh, gain and, and improve some control and power over your body. We already know it's true because of the placebo effect, where you take a pill, you think you're taking a pill that's going to help you, when really it's just a sugar pill, and all of a sudden you still feel better. Your mind has power to you know handle some of your physical functions as well and, and, and actually mitigate pain. And other things. So we'll be talking with her about that. But before we do that, let's get to some more pain. And Terry South and the headlines. Terry? I don't know if that was about me or what I'm going to say here. Former presidential candidate Mitt Romney plans to speak this morning at 1130 Eastern, just in a few minutes here, on the state of the 2016 primaries. His camp said in a press release, do you have a camp? Yes. Do you have people? Camp Winnemucca. Okay. He all of a sudden has a staff all of a sudden. It's interesting. According to a source close to Romney, the former Massachusetts governor will use this address to lay out the Republican case against Donald Trump mere days after the GOP frontrunner won seven of the Super Tuesday voting states and took a bigger lead in the party's delegate race. Mitt Romney speaks at 1130 Eastern. The next GOP debate is tonight in Detroit at 9 p.m. Eastern. Expect to hear more on all of today's events from Senator Ted Cruz, who said this on Tuesday. So long as the field remains divided, Donald Trump's path to the nomination remains more likely. And that would be a disaster for Be a disaster for So is he going to get out of the race? Who? Ted Cruz. No. Oh, I thought he was saying he as thinks, long as it's he divided. He thinks Rubio I... should get out. Oh, that's Some what Some people saying. think that John Kasich is actually pulling votes from Rubio. Mm-hmm. Kasich thinks that Rubio's pulling votes from him. How do you get, Absolutely. You know? And so, they're all pulling them from Cruz. And it's all, so everybody wants everybody else out. On Wednesday, Donald Trump published on his website a seven-point plan for reforming the U.S. health care system. On day one, the Trump administration, quote, will work with Congress to make sure we have a series of reforms ready for implementation that follow free market principles and that will restore economic freedom and certainty to everyone in this country, the statement reads. Trump's plan calls for completely repealing Obamacare, modifying existing laws that prevent the sale of health insurance across state lines. Remember the lines? Yep. It's all about the lines. lines. Individuals will be able to fully deduct health care insurance premium payments from tax returns and use tax-free health savings accounts. The plan also calls for price transparency from all health care providers, block grant Medicaid to states, and consumer access to imported safe and dependable drugs from overseas it doesn't say this, but or Canada. So pretty much Ted Cruz's plan, Rubio's plan. Yeah, it's all the same. With some details, but not really many, but more than he's ever given. Absolutely. So, so it seems more. like a step forward. Uh, so Donald Trump made headlines Monday when he reportedly ordered his secret service agents to remove 30 black students from a campaign event, if you remember that. Under federal law, however, he or any candidate with secret service protection theoretically could have asked the agents to do much more. That's because H.R. 347, which updated existing uh, pr- uh, protest regulations in 2011 makes it a federal crime punishable by up to 10 years in prison to impede or disrupt the orderly conduct of government business or official functions. And that applies to a candidate if they're under Secret Service Guard. So simply protesting at an event for a presidential candidate, if they have Secret Service protection, could be a federal crime. Which is almost seems like an unfair advantage because some people don't have Secret Service to pull hecklers out they do 
It's interesting. I was reading that yesterday. Like, huh. Whoa, that's federal. They should just yeah. like let you know kick them out and just move on with your life. It's a big deal. Oh well. Uh, for those of you who blindly delete the emails that get sent to your junk folder, yeah. witness the story of Helen Garner. The Australian writer checked the contents of her folder last week and read one that smacked of a hoax. A Yale, Yale University employee had quote good news and needed her phone number. Reports the Sydney Morning, Morning Herald. It turned out to be real. It says the real deal, but that's kind of what you say. I don't want to steal your, your thunder yeah, yeah, on your Don't use your money. money. Don't use uh, money. On what is described as one of the richest literary awards in the world, Yale was trying to convey the good news that Garner's nonfiction writing had won uh, one of the nine Wilhelm Campbell prizes that have been handed out annually since 2013 and comes with a $150,000 prize. Hmm. It's kind of understandable why she thought it was a, a hoax, though. Uh, the whole process is secretive. With no submission process and no announcement of a short list, so the writers have no idea if they're even being considered. And then they send her an email because wow. they can't get a hold of her and say, and she's "Hey, like, right. we want to give you all this money." Well, like think of it, it's like for an actor. Yeah, you've won the Academy Award, right? But you do it over email. Yeah, yeah. no, that's not how you do it. So look at your uh, junk mail. You might have something in there for you. Huh. Might be a surprise. Might be maybe I've won an award. An award for that I didn't even know. An increased level of awesomeness. Yeah, which might be a thing. Oh. Who knows? I'll have to check that right now. Hmm. I don't even want to get to the next guest. I want to find out if I have an award. Well, I probably don't. Here's the deal, folks. We're going to take a break. Doctor Joe Marchant will be joining us and talking to us about uh, her book, Cure. The Science of Mind Over Body, we're going to be getting into the power of the mind to to help control our pain, to help heal our own bodies. Interesting stuff, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, today, uh, you know, the idea that the mind can heal the body is usually chalked up to pseudoscience. But think about the placebo effect, where people report improved symptoms after taking bogus drugs and sugar pills. Clearly, the mind and body work together, but how? Well, our next guest may have some answers on that. She's written the book called uh, called Cure, The Science of Mind Over Body. Joe Marchand is a science writer and uh, has a Ph.D. in genetics and medical microbiology. And she's also a writer. And she joins us now live from the U.K. to help us understand the power of the mind over the body. Uh, Joe Marchand, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi, thanks for having me on. So great to have you. Talk to me about uh, your book, uh, Cure, A Journey Th- into the Science of Mind Over Body. What made you dive into this subject? I think it was just the fact that there is so much disagreement and so many strong feelings when it comes to whether the mind can heal the body. You have these claims of miracle cures on one side, healing 
thoughts, you know, often made by alternative therapists. Um, this idea that you can heal pretty much anything if you just change your perspective on life. Um, and then on the other, you've got skeptics who say that the whole idea that the mind can affect the body is deluded. Um, and I, I'm a scientist by training. I'm a science journalist now. So I just wanted to look at the research, really, to find out well, what, does, what do scientists really know about how the mind can affect the body? And is that important for our health? So you were looking, because with your scientific background, because there's a lot of, I guess, pseudoscience in this. You wanted to actually get to the scientific level and figure out what really do we know? Yeah, there's this idea that if the mind is affecting the body, it must be some sort of mysterious, magical healing force. But, but, but really, it's just biology. There's nothing paranormal going on there you know the the mind and the brain are are entwined you know the brain is regulating all aspects of our physiology so i'm interested in i guess how do things work why do they work and i think it's really important that we take a scientific approach to this topic because the mind doesn't magically cure everything you know for for some things it it has an influence and for other things it, it doesn't sometimes it has dramatic immediate effects Sometimes it's one subtle factor among many, for example, influencing our disease risk over time. So I think it is important that we, we don't just have this, oh, you know, general idea about the mind healing us and that we actually look at the science and the nuts and the bolts of what works and what doesn't. We, we've heard of the placebo effect, and I know you, you mentioned that in your book um, quite a bit. Talk about the placebo effect, for example. How does that tie, how does the mind you know, create, I guess, a, a, a sense of healing or even pain tolerance? Yeah, the placebo effect is a really good example because it's kind of quite a pure effect, if you like, of our thoughts and beliefs affecting the body. So placebos are fake medicines, basically. So the placebo effect is describing this phenomenon where when people receive medical treatment, often they feel better, they improve, um, even if it turns out that that treatment was fake with no active ingredient at all. And it's often been dismissed in the past as kind of an illusion, if you like, this idea that people would have got better anyway. Um, and many people do get better over time, regardless of what treatment they receive. But, but neuroscientists are finding out that there's something else going on as well, that when people respond to fake treatments, they can actually measure biological changes in the brain of those people. And these changes are very similar to the changes that are caused by drugs. So, for example, when people respond to placebo painkillers, you get a flood of endorphins in the brain. These are natural pain-relieving chemicals. Um, And, in fact, opioid drugs like morphine and heroin are designed to to, to mimic endorphins. They bind to the same receptors. So if you you take a placebo painkiller and your pain is eased, you haven't imagined that. You don't just think your pain is better when nothing has actually changed. There has been a biological change that has eased your pain, and it's exactly the same change as you would get if you took a painkilling drug. But then there are other examples, like Parkinson's disease, for example, which is caused um, when neurons in the brain that produce a neurotransmitter called dopamine die. When Parkinson's disease patients respond to a placebo, you see a, a flood of dopamine in the brain, mm. not endorphins. Um, or even in altitude sickness, people can breathe fake oxygen and then they have a reduction in prostaglandins, which are chemicals that are responsible for many of the symptoms of altitude sickness. So this is a real measurable biological effect that is being triggered by people's thoughts and beliefs surrounding their treatment. And is it, is it a conscious thought? Does that matter, a subconscious thought? Or is it just the assumption, deep down, I'm taking the pill, it's going to work? There are different mechanisms. So 
conscious belief and expectation is definitely important. So in studies trying to tease this apart, people are more likely to experience placebo responses if they have um, high positive expectation for their treatment um, and if they're engaged with their treatment. And for example, this same placebo, for example, a sugar pill or a saline injection can have positive effects or negative effects depending on what you're told about it mm. so that conscious expectation is definitely important but there are other things going on as well in some studies honest placebos where people know they're taking placebos still work and that may have more to do with things for example the the social interaction with the doctor is seen as very important so just that feeling of being cared for you know, whether it's in a trial or the fact that you're receiving medical treatment seems to trigger some of these changes. There are also learned associations. So if you take a drug a few times, your body learns the physiological response to that drug. So that if you subsequently take a placebo, your body automatically triggers the same response to it. And those work absolutely regardless of your conscious beliefs. You can know perfectly well that it's a placebo and that response will still happen. So there are lots of different things going on here. But hopefully by teasing them apart and re research, we can come up with ways of harnessing them, um, both to make the drugs we take more effective, or in some cases to reduce drug doses, perhaps by alternating real drugs and placebos, um, or to come up with evidence-based therapies that don't involve drugs for conditions like chronic pain, for example. Researchers are using virtual reality therapies now to try and harness the role of the brain in those conditions. Wow. I mean, that is... It's powerful, and yet, I guess, really so unknown how it's all working. Yeah. We're gathering the data, but it's just it's a it's an early it's an early science, I guess. Yeah, we we definitely need more research on this. There are certain conditions that are have, that have been studied, like pain, depression, Parkinson's disease, where placebo responses are strong. Um, but there are bound to be lots of other mechanisms other mechanisms going on in other conditions that, you know, when, when people research those, there are going to be different pathways happening. Already we do know that when it comes to conscious expectation and belief, that the kinds of things that are most strongly affected are symptoms that you're consciously aware of, things like pain, nausea, depression, fatigue. Simply believing that you're going to get better isn't going to shrink a tumour, for example, or banish an infection um, or change the sort of physiological processes of disease, things like immune responses. But certainly for conditions that involve um, pain, depression, nausea, fatigue, things like choosing a doctor that you, you know, get on well with, that you respect and trust is going to be important. Feeling positively engaged with your treatment, visualizing the outcome that you want to see, all of those things are going to trigger stronger placebo responses when you take your drugs so that you can hopefully then benefit from, from both things, the active effect of the drug and stronger placebo responses. When it comes to things like immune responses for treating patients with autoimmune disease or um, organ transplant patients, there are trials going on with kidney transplant patients at the moment. Um, here it may be possible to reduce drug doses and therefore reduce the toxicity of those drugs and the side effects by perhaps alternating drugs and placebos. So there, there are different approaches in different kinds of conditions. Is it a universal thing to, I guess, to all humans or are there some people that, that the effect won't work on? 
it, it varies a lot. It used to be assumed that if you responded to a placebo, you must be sort of neurotic and suggestible. <laughs> but researchers looking at how personality affects this are actually finding the opposite, that it's optimistic, engaged people who build strong relationships with their doctors who are most likely to have the strongest placebo effects, whereas neurotic, hostile people are, are least likely to respond. But depending on the circumstances... Pretty much anyone can have a placebo response. So, um, you know, if it's if it's something that you really believe in that you're taking, or you know, if you've taken a drug before and, and have had a positive response to it, or your body has learned the response to it, um, then pretty much anybody can experience a placebo response. And it seems like the opposite is true, or should be true. Somebody that that then um, is told, you know, there's no help, there's no chance, this isn't going to work, would also be able to more likely not heal or not have the benefits of it. Yes, absolutely. So negative messaging. Um, the, the patient's motivation and attitude is very important neuroscientists are discovering, particularly in conditions like chronic pain and depression, for example. And then there are also specific sort of negative effects. It's called the nocebo effect, where mm. you expect that something is going to harm you and then you start to have those symptoms. And, you know, this is, you get... Uh, situations of sort of mass hysteria, for example, or a lot of people fainting or throwing up, and it's kind of transmitted from person to person. And again, researchers are finding that there are real biological changes that underlie this. This isn't people just sort of imagining their symptoms. Those symptoms are real. Uh, and all of it is building a picture where the symptoms we experience, things like pain and, and fatigue and nausea, they're not sort of an inevitable consequence of the physical state of the body. That That is important, but psychological factors sort of how safe or under threat we feel are feeding into those symptoms as well. I mean, they're, they're warning signals, essentially. That's why we feel pain. It's a warning to us to change our behavior. And, and how the brain perceives the level of threat around us is telling, you know, it's it, causing biological changes that ramp those symptoms up and down. So we do have a lot of control over the level of those symptoms that we experience. Wow, and our mind does. That's so powerful. We're speaking uh, with Dr. Joe Marchant, who is a writer and author of the book Cure, The Science of Mind Over Body. And let's take a break, come back, continue this interesting discussion about how your mind really can control your healing and and pain. The, the, the science is there uh, in a very scientific book uh, and a very scientific approach to the whole study of mind over body. Um, stick with us. Uh, I think groundbreaking, really. Hopefully blowing up some of your own myths, your own perceptions about the power of your mind. Stick with us. We'll be right back, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, the power of your mind to heal and, uh, you know, and, and impact your pain. I mean, so, so interesting. The book is called Cure by Joe Marchant and the science of mind over body. She's taken a, a very scholarly, I think, academic. Uh, she's herself got so many different, uh, you know, She's got a great background for this. Genetics, medical microbiology, PhD in that area. 
and then as a writer wanted to go figure it out. What's what is the research really saying? What power does our mind have over our body? And we're so excited uh, to continue the discussion. Joe Marchant, welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi. Good to have you. Talk to us about this. Um, like, in the end, is there? can we be taking this too far? Are we going – could somebody rely too much on their mind to cure their disease or to eliminate their pain that they maybe don't get the help they need? Yes. Absolutely. I mean, there are obviously limits to what the mind can do, um, that the mind can't magic up a, a chemical that the body needs but doesn't have. For example, you know, in a diabetes patient, it can't suddenly produce insulin. Um, somebody with cystic fibrosis is not going to suddenly produce that missing lung protein that they need. It, the mind isn't going to be able to... Um, help the body when it's overwhelmed by something that's too great for it to hope too great for it to cope with um, serious infection or injury or cancer for example Um, what it can do is work with neurotransmitters hormones the immune system all those tools that the body naturally has available to reduce our symptoms and also to influence the physiological process of disease in some cases but i think we need the scientific approach to understand when and how it can help Mm. and when it can't Help, And I think the concern is that if, if somebody loses that scientific approach and just says, oh, the mind can heal, as you get with some alternative therapist, then people might then not get the conventional treatment that they need, you know, when they really need it. So the cancer patient, for example, um, the mind could be very useful in terms of helping them to deal with the, the pain and the fatigue and the nausea caused by the chemotherapy, for example. And if that helps them to stick to their chemotherapy regime, that could also have very important um, influences on their outcomes. Um, but what I'm absolutely not saying is that we can throw out physical drugs and treatments. We still need those, but we need to use the two together, the the conventional medicine um, with the effects of the mind, using them together in an intelligent way so that we can perhaps reduce our reliance on drugs and improve quality of life. Yeah, it seems like we we tend to choose, we bifurcate, right? We choose one side or the other, and the the message is probably somewhere right in the middle. How do we use the mind, which is why we've got to understand it so much more. What are some things we can be doing just in our own lives to maybe enhance our own use of the mind over our body? Well, we've talked a little bit already about the lessons from placebo research. So if you're suffering from chronic condition um, with these symptoms, just that the that that attitude that you have to your symptoms and realizing that you have some control over them and that you don't have to be afraid of them can be really important. Um, And if you want to enhance placebo responses that you're getting from the drugs that you're taking, um, try and make a ritual out of taking those drugs. Um, Experts in this field recommend, you know, sitting down, taking them at the same time and place every day, visualizing the improvement that you want to to see. Or even without drugs, just things like... um, distraction, for example, are more powerful than we realize. So there's this whole line of research into virtual reality therapy, which is treating some of the most severe pain in medicine in acute burns patients. Um, And they have to go undergo these horrifically painful wound care sessions. And being immersed in this virtual reality world is helping to reduce their pain by up to 50% in addition to the pain relief they get from drugs. But at home, just things like actually going out and doing things that we enjoy and care about and spending time with people, sometimes that can be a scary thing to do if you're in a lot of pain because you think it's going to make the pain worse. But actually, it is going to make the pain 
better. I mean, it depends. You have to follow the advice of your doctor, obviously, and make sure that there isn't, you know, physical problem that that's going to exacerbate. But just in terms of the pain, focusing outwards and doing other things is helpful. But then the other. I spent half of my book looking at those sort of immediate effects, but then also um, in terms of um, throughout our lives, so stress, for example, and the effect that that has on disease risk. I think most people are familiar with the idea that chronic stress is bad for us, but I was shocked looking into it at just how broad-ranging those effects are. So that, you know, this is the idea that when we're afraid or anxious, this triggers the fight-or-flight response, and that causes all sorts of physiological changes, so... It affects the gut, for example, with um, circulation, sort of blood being diverted away from the gut towards the brain and muscles so that you can respond to an emergency. Your blood pressure rises, your heart rate increases, um, stress triggers a branch of the immune system called inflammation. And all of these things are good in an emergency, but in the long run are increasing your risk of of heart disease, of things like diabetes, of dementia and depression, inflammation triggers uh, sorry exacerbates autoimmune disease um, allergies makes us more susceptible to infection stress has even been linked to increased cellular aging um, so um, what i tried to do in the book was look at evidence-based ways that we can reduce stress you know what's been tested what what really works um, and, and mindfulness meditation is one of the best studied and neuroscientists are finding that a course of mindfulness meditation actually changes the physical structure of the brain in a way that reverses some of the changes caused by stress for example i also looked at the importance of social relationships um, and the effects of religious belief for example on stress so Mm. so there's a lot of different approaches and a lot of it is going to come down to what's most meaningful for the individual i think you know not everyone is religious not everyone wants to do mindfulness but there are lots of different things to choose there yeah. that would hopefully make, make you know, sense for somebody. It's it, And it makes so much sense. And, and there is such a, a big movement kind of into the me- mindfulness arena and, the, and, the, and meditation. Um, but really, I guess the cure, part of the cure, at least, is within us. I mean, a, a major part of the cure and a major part, I guess, too, of the prevention of stress is in us. It's, we're kind of already wired in a way to be reactive, but we can also, it sounds like, become very intentional and be, and mindful and, and start some healing from within. Yeah, a big part of my message, I think, is that we need to be active participants in our own health, not just passive recipients of, of health care. And so that's something that as individuals we need to take ownership of but but also in the the medical system as well i think there you know there's this huge focus on physical drugs and interventions that kind of get doled out to people but i think we, we need to take more account of people as individuals our you know our fears our hopes our memories our experiences our attitudes the research is showing that all of these things make a difference to health because our mental state matters for our physical state. You can't separate the two. Right. So I do. I would love to see more research that takes that seriously, <laughs> um, so that we can approach that in an evidence-based way. Because you know the, the the people who are taking those individual aspects more seriously are alternative therapists, and this is why they can get you know very good responses in in patients because they are they do have those sort of human elements of care mm-hmm. if you like um but you know it does worry me because when you have these therapies based on pseudoscientific frameworks then that could encourage people to go down that route of rejecting science and not getting conventional treatment they, they need um so I, I think what we have to do is try and learn from those alternative therapies and learn that one-to-one care and interaction and longer consultation times matter and there are now 
you know, randomized controlled trials showing that. So there's a lot of interesting research coming out of Harvard, for example, showing that patients do better when the therapist is empathic and warm compared to um, cold yeah. and polite, or they do Sterile. better when the consultations are longer versus shorter. And, and that's completely the opposite of the trend that we're seeing in medical care at the moment, where the, all the focus is on the actual drug that's being prescribed and, you know, staff numbers are being cut, consultation times are being cut. And there's a real, you know, I'm really worried that that could be counterproductive. I think we need to start taking these human elements of care just as seriously mm. as the physical drugs that are being prescribed. No, I, I couldn't agree more, and, and I hear it more and more and more uh, just with my clients, my friends. Uh, it's so real. Dr. Joe Marchant, appreciate your insight on this and your great work on the book, Cure, the Science of Mind Over Body. Folks, it's our life, right? We've got to take our lives back and engage that mind of ours, engage the spirit as well. We're a whole being. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back with our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation down in Vegas, by the way. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. Little Ocean's Eleven music for you. Why? Because we are going to Las Vegas to visit our good buddies there at BYU Sports Nation. They're just hanging out in Vegas. I think there's a big tournament in town. And really, they may be trying to plan a robbery. Is that what's going on? Spencer, Jeremy, are you there, guys? We're, we're already planning it, or we've already pulled it off? Oh, ho, 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 ho. I don't know. You tell me. You guys. Obey the law, man. Which, uh, where are you? We're at the Orleans Arena in Las Vegas, Nevada. Viva Las Vegas. We were um, we were just here like nine weeks ago for the bowl game. I remember. And this is the sixth straight year that BYU TV has come down here and done games. But today marks the two-year anniversary of the show on television. Oh. So, so we did a show on TV for six months. That's right. Starting in the uh, Labor Day 2013. And then... It was here in Vegas where we debuted the show on TV. This That means it's two, two years ago. it's been two years and two weeks since you guys first had your first waxing. Something like that, yeah. I mean, I remember that was a big day. <laughs> why, why is it always waxing? Why, what's well, up with wax, man? What else would it be? <laughs> we were thinking about this, too, man. Oh, I don't know. Anything but waxing. Oh, this waxing. Is, this is the ninth different location we broadcast the show. We were thinking about the others. Oh, wow. You've had yeah, nine? That was more than I thought. Let me yeah. get this straight. You've had nine different locations that you've taken your show on the road. Yeah. Vegas either, twice. Either on campus or in Provo or <sighs> we had two in Miami, two different locations in Miami. Three. We had three in Vegas. Man. Four in Provo. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds. It's been fun. Well, your show it sounds. It's an army to do it. To yeah. Like, no, I bet. Two, we're just two dudes up here talking for, for an hour, but there's like 20 or 30 people involved to make this happen. Well, you know what? I'd give I'd give five dollars to go sit in the truck with like 12 other men and just enjoy that moment <laughs> only five dollars you, you can be one of our student production assistants if you we'll, want we'll let you do it for You'll, free you make more than five bucks hey you know what you need to get them. i don't know if you heard about the new army pizza but the army's come out with a pizza that lasts for three years that's not a pizza i want to consume no why you could just keep it in your backpack you know, your fanny pack. 
I mean, I saw you with your fanny pack, Jerem, and you could just then pull it out, give Spence a slice in a year. Three, three years. Three years. That would have been good for Matt Damon to take to Mars. It would have. <laughs> or, <laughs> or I blew or, myself up. Or uh, what's his name, Kelly, that just came back from uh, a year in space yesterday? Yeah. Can you imagine having to come a year back? year in space? You're in space, wow. and then all of a sudden you come back, and you're like, Donald Trump? <laughs> what happened What was gone? the world is going yeah. on here? How's the Wi-Fi in space? Oh, I bet the Wi-Fi is fantastic. <laughs> I'd win an election on the moon. <laughs> <laughs> that is crazy. Did you guys, have you guys ever had um, that, that phenomenon they call um, kind of the phantom phone ring buzz? Where you think your phone's buzzing? Yes, and you're on your leg or yeah, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you're not. You're in the shower. And my know, phone's on my know, leg in the shower. I don't shower? know if I've had it in the shower, but okay. I've had it. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. That's like a sign that you you are too connected to your phone. Yeah, that you're probably addicted. That you're so going you're to die. Deep in transcendence. They say ninety percent of people have had these little tiny muscle spasms, and we thought it was our phone. And it's it really might be a sign. Be in your pocket. That's right. I hate when that happens. Don't you? I always get I always get twitches in my eye. Is that weird in my like eyelid? You have a, you have a nutrient deficiency. That's what my dad used to always say. You really? Need to take more vitamins, Spencer. Or you have Bell's palsy, which my <laughs> wife had during preg- pregnancy. A nerve in her face yeah. stopped working. Wow. Man. Which was for like a month or two. It was crazy. Has she been eating three year old pizza? You're twice as likely when you're pregnant to have Bell's palsy. Oh, don't bring that up. It's going to be so embarrassed that I brought that up. Yeah. Yeah, what are you doing? Embarrassing her. That's all good. But at least you're doing it from Vegas. She's coming down tonight. She's driving down tonight. Hey, what are you guys going to do tonight in Vegas? Tonight, we're going to be in this arena. We're going to be in this arena until 1030. I'm talking best. We're in this arena all day, like for 14 hours. But 1030 in Vegas is like, you know, dusk. It's It's just... Party's our getting meeting, started. Our meeting starts at 6.30 tomorrow morning. Yeah. Again. <laughs> right. So ain't no partying for the BYUSN crew. The party yeah. is in the Orleans. No, that's true. We'll that's true. Stockholm Syndrome by tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> you know what is sad? Um, I, 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 how do you think they're going to do? I hope they do well. I, yep. Give me. I just, I just. They're going to beat it's Santa huge, Clara. It's the a men huge will, question mark. Yeah, the men will beat Santa Clara Saturday. And then they'll play uh, Gonzaga on Monday. And uh, then we'll see what happens. Did you hear that? Somebody in the truck just fell down on the audio board. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, tell, wait, what? Tell Did them to quit that? messing around. Like, we wanted to bring the energy up. They were like, man, the energy is super low energy. That's low energy. You're going flat. Well, today I'm on. I was off earlier. Wait, we no, got it. You were on. You were on the first Wait, time. Was it higher? Yeah. Wait, what it? Okay, I got it. Yeah, you got to reach. You dig Sorry, down. E sharp. My bad. Yeah, yeah. dig down into I that. I thought it was an E flat. I apologize. <laughs> you Why? are good. Hey, Why? what's what's going to be up on the show today, gentlemen? It's loaded. We got a loaded locked and loaded. Lineup. Paul Sabin, ESPN analytics specialist. We figured this is a great day to talk to him because. We want to discuss the odds of the West Coast Conference getting one or two teams into the NCAA tournament, and also what are BYU's chances to win three games in Las Vegas. Mm. BYU football schedule was officially released yesterday. We knew all the opponents, but one of the games changed. Boise State moved to a Thursday. 
So we'll talk a little bit about that. And it's spring football day, too. That's big. Man. Uh, yeah, tons going on. Uh, Tanner Chauncey of the baseball team, they're 7-1. and one. They play Kansas today on the road uh, on ESPN3. He'll join us live from Lawrence. West Coast Conference Associate Commissioner Jeff Toriel. It's kind of become like a tradition with him. Yeah. On day one of the West Coast Conference tournament, we always have him on the we show. We love Jeff. Yeah. So and, anyway, and, and and in and in homage uh, to um, to pay tribute to Vegas, you guys are wearing your sequin uh, BYU jackets, right? I wish we had BYU SN jackets. I have you, a headdress you, on. Do you know what a year ago was for me here? What? I had a shaved head. That's right. I was three days into Jeremy a shaved head. Jeremy has hair this year. It's yeah. amazing. It's Woo. incredible. That's uh, awesome. We, we were reminded. <laughs> we saw a picture again. I was like, oh, my gosh. Those we were the days. That. Let's do it again, though. That was fun. That was fun, Jeremy, for everybody. Uh, no. No, right. it wasn't. That's, see, and you, you, you could have had your back waxed, but instead you got your head shaved. Yeah. Again. Back to the wax. Guys, have a great show. Knock them dead. Remember who you are, though, okay? Return with honor to BYU. Remember the promise. (laughs) I win an election on the moon. (laughs) Little Trump moment. Thanks, guys. Have a great show. We'll talk to you later. Beautiful. (laughs) A little sax from Jerem. Good job. Wow. Yeah, they've had 13 trips, Terry. 13 trips trips to different places. We have gone to the Marriott Center. We've gone across the street, and that, when we got there, we were winded. They take a truck and 500 people. Will you get on that, Terry? What's that? You need to get on that. Go organize a trip for us. Uh, the sidewalk out in Santa, outside the basketball facility, was now that? No, that's not enough. That won't work for you? No. We that, did it last year. I know, but you were winded. By the time we got there, we were winded, exhausted. Okay. It, if we go to Hawaii, I can get us places to stay. Just <gasps> saying. Ooh. Okay, let's go to Hawaii. Because lodging would be a huge well, expense. there is a BYU-Hawaii. That's true. They may have radio facilities we could broadcast for from. Sure. There are people that need a guide on the side in Hawaii. Absolutely. I'm going to San Antonio. I should be doing one from San Antonio. I should have gone earlier, and we should have taken the truck. You mean the pickup truck? Yeah, my my kid's Chevy oh, okay. S10. But I mean, there's like a BYU truck. It's a 12-year-old truck. So. Okay. You could uh, Sharpie Matt Townsend show on it. Why would we Sharpie it? Don't ruin my truck. So that we could shrink wrap it. Yes, that would be great. It would be great because shrink wrap is never tacky. No, and it might. This truck's a mess. So if we could shrink wrap it, it would look really good. Anyway, we'll. Uh, I want you to get on that, Terry. Figure that out for tomorrow. I'll figure it out. Let's find a location. If you're interested in having us visit your town, give us a call. F- tweet us. Go to doc, uh, at Doctor Matt Show, and uh, let us know where you want us to come, or just go to my Facebook page. Yeah. Let me know. We, if, we, we're going to start. A, we're going to do a tour. Well, I'm if, just saying that I might end up doing it alone. If you let us sleep on your couch, we will come to your city. Yeah, don't don't say it that way because that doesn't sound very inviting. Oh, really? Well, we're we're helping them. We're we're coming to their homes. We're... We'll we'll bring the truck. We'll bring the truck. See, when BYU Sports Nation says we're bringing the truck, it's like a billion-dollar truck full of incredible equipment. We're when I say the camper. truck, we're bringing a 20-year-old S10 that's been wrapped basically to cover all of the dents. And in the back of the truck, my suitcase. Bring in the truck. 
Whatever. Okay, we always like to end the show on a hero story. This is a great hero story, one that we, I don't think we've ever done before, where the hero turns out to be an animal. How about a dog? It turns out, folks, Lassie may actually be a Louisiana bloodhound named Honey. And thanks to her, one family has their little boy home safe again. Eli Alcock, just three years old, reportedly wandered away from his Florian, Louisiana home Tuesday afternoon. Imagining never seeing him again, never hearing him again, just the reality of what was happening. I mean, it was hard. Those are the words of Lindsay Alcock, Eli's mother. And that's what she was telling an NBC affiliate, KPLC. Uh, who was responsible for this story. Uh, Enter Now enter Doug Downs, a local pastor, and his trusty bloodhound, Honey, who has quite the reputation for having a keen sense of smell. Downs was contacted with hopes that the canine could be of some help in their problem. The pressure was on because you're asked to come and do something you've never done before. Downs told the the news. He said he admitted that uh, it had been a long time since Honey's uh, been out tracking and uh, out hunting deer, so he wasn't sure what was going to happen. Well, after several hours of searching, little Eli was found safe in the woods behind his home, and it was Honey who led the searchers to the boy. Good old Lord was watching over us that night, Downs told the station. He showed up through a four-legged dog. Lindsay says her son doesn't seem to remember much about what happened that night, but she does plan to tell him when he's older that a dog named Honey saved his life. How cool is that? So, hero of the day, Honey, the bloodhound from Louisiana. You are the hero on the Matt Townsend Show. And, folks, the hero maybe also was the dog's owner, Doug Downs, and uh, all the faithful people in the area that just didn't give up searching for the boy. Heroes come in many shapes and sizes and breeds, apparently. Let's remember, though, that in the end, we can each uh, be there to be heroes for each other. That's the goal of the show is to give you the information, the tools you need to be there when people need you, to make the right decisions. But we can't do the show without you. Join us again tomorrow. Look up our podcast on LinkedIn or on iTunes. And also uh, go find the BYU radio app. And until tomorrow, folks, just be good to each other. Watch each other's backs. We'll talk again tomorrow. And until then, make it a great one.